Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally these projects gel, most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, I think we have a first... This episode needs to start with a disclaimer. We've never had an episode start with a disclaimer, right, Zach? We've had a lot of disclaimers, but not one that that opens an episode. Yeah, never to preface an entire episode, but I think this is the first. We really need it here. I think this disclaimer is low-hanging fruit. Maybe Zach knows what it is. If you've seen the title of this podcast, you know, as we... We put what we're discussing in the title. Maybe you know what it is as well. But Zach, can we tell our audience, listener beware, you're in for a scare. Right? Right? Zach is not amused. (laughs) (laughs) I should have seen that one coming and I didn't. Listener beware, you're in for a scare. Unfortunately, we are not the first that get to say that. Uh, When the Goosebumps audiobooks existed, that's exactly how they started. Listener, beware. The TV shows start with viewer, beware, and the books start with reader, beware. Um, I guess when they invent, like, a Goosebumps book that is entirely in Braille, it would say, like, feeler, beware, you're in for a scare? That would be really cool. What are we missing? Smeller. If someone can only smell, but they need to smell a Goosebumps book, smeller, beware, you're in for a scare. (laughs) But that's our disclaimer. I'm so happy that we are kicking off a new series talking about Goosebumps, and that's where we should start. What series are we introducing? What are we calling it, Zach? Mon Mon Stober? Yes, we are in Mon Stober. And so that's a combination of monster and sober? Is that what that is? Close. Should I be sober for this? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) No, never. Never be sober for a Goosebumps marathon. Okay. No, we are combining monster with October, despite the fact that you're hearing this in September. <laughs> yes, this is the kickoff to the Monster October, Monstober, as we're going to call it, not Monster Sober. <laughs> that is our new series, and we are starting with Goosebumps, for good reason. That's what I want to start with. Why are we talking about Goosebumps? Now... We're going to get to the history, of course. We have to talk about our history with Goosebumps, because Goosebumps, I think, is a, a childhood thing. But I want to start by saying that this is one of the only traditions I have, or I should say traditions I follow. Every October, I watch damn near all of Goosebumps. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, I guess, that I don't watch every single episode, because some episodes are garbage and not based on books. They were just made up for the show. Uh, But every single October, kind of as my Halloween celebration, I just watch a lot of Goosebumps, only in October. And so I'm very happy, because we are going to be talking about so many things this October, sorry Zach, this Monstober, that we had to start with Goosebumps. We had to start with my October tradition. And so throughout the rest of this series, even though when we're talking about this movie, that movie, whatever, just know I have Goosebumps on in the background. Just know. You kind of expected that right, though, Zach, that I always have Goosebumps and Courage the Cowardly Dog on in the background. <laughs> is it on right? Considering this episode's coming out in September, is it on right now or is it at the wait a week? Then it's on. 
It it has to wait a week. Uh, I'm not watching Goosebumps right now. Uh, I've, this is one of the only times I think I've actually broken my tradition and not watched Goosebumps during October was to prepare for this episode. But I'm happy. I'm happy that it is kind of the the gatekeeper or the uh, the introductory person to our Monstober series. I'm very happy Zach gave us a spot to talk about Goosebumps. Aren't you, Zach? Aren't you excited? No, because I don't really like Goosebumps that much. But Rob picked a really good third episode, so I'm going to say sure and just nod my head politely. Yes, thankfully, I have actually found a Goosebumps episode that Zach has enjoyed and he has things to say about, but we're going to save the best for last. Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach. I think when we were planning this episode and I was like, I want to do a Goosebumps episode, Zach basically just right away said, if we do Goosebumps, I'm going to have nothing to talk about. <laughs> you said something along those lines. <laughs> well, yeah, because I like remo- I guess most people our age, which is people like in their mid to late 20s, would be like 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 Rob. They grew up with Goosebumps. There's a nostalgia yeah. with it. It I helped me learn how to read. I, I had none of that, folks. I, okay. I, I remember seeing the books in Walmart when I was younger. I can still remember seeing it like on a shelf when um, Walmart used to carry these things made out of like a uh, paper sap that was like held together with like binding called books you probably don't know what that is but it's a a rather antiquated way of reading um imagine a cell phone but instead of it glowing it's just dull and just barely reflects light that's what a book is i know it's disgusting (laughs) there's no home button or anything but i remember going to walmart and seeing those books because the cover art for those books i think was vastly more interesting than the actual contents of the book and then when the show, I remember the show would come out. I think the show was a little, a little, slightly before my time. I remember "Are You Afraid of the Dark," which was the Nickelodeon mm. version of this show. I was aware of "Are You Afraid of the Dark" oh, more, okay. but I, I did not like either show. I, I, don't, I remember being a little bit afraid of "Are You Afraid of the Dark," mm-hmm. but I don't remember ever really watching it. To this day, I don't think I've ever seen a complete episode of that show. Okay. But going back to Goosebumps, no, I remember the, I remember seeing the book covers more than the show. Sure. I did not ever really get into the show until Monstober 2008, where <laughs> Rob and I, that is the uh, year when Rob and I became really good friends in high school. And I was watching uh, Cartoon Network religiously for Star Wars The Clone Wars, another tie into everything going on in, in that time frame. Yep. And I remember... I think it was in 2008, Cartoon Network did like a revival of Goosebumps. Not like a revival. Mm-hmm. They started like re-airing all the episodes on TV again. Only in been... October. Yes. And so Rob's like, every day we'd come into school and Rob's like, did you watch Goosebumps last night? <laughs> and I'd be like, no. But like, I always, I always, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into this over the course of this Monstober series, but I always had a, a taste for the macabre and like campy, pulpy horror stuff. And so I figured, oh, it'd be perfect. And so I watched a few episodes here and there, and it's one of those things that I never really glommed onto. There's there's like one episode of like Goosebumps I remember really well, and we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. Sure. But that's kind of my history of Goosebumps. I the only time I ever really got into it was Monstober 2008, and it pretty much just died there for me until this exact moment. Okay, interesting. So I'm glad you bring up the 2008 Monstober, because I would say that is when my tradition of October Goosebumps started. 
you know, two years later when I went off to undergrad and I started my whole, you know, I need to collect files. I need to have them. One of the things I wanted was Goosebumps. And I got all of Goosebumps and I just kind of kept going that, you know, when I went to my undergrad in 2010, October, I had downloaded all of Goosebumps and I was basically sitting there like, hey, everybody, we're going to watch Goosebumps. And some people liked it. Some people didn't. But, Zach, just to clarify, you didn't have a big experience with the books. Is that what you said? No. Did not real other than the the logo and, like, the brand And the name? pictures and the covers, the thing that you yeah. saw when you walked by an aisle with them. Sure, okay. But I never owned a Goosebumps book, never read one, never got one from a library. It was... Oh, wow. Like, the, the, co- the covers were more fun to look at. Like, <laughs> like if you're, like, like, in the book aisle of Walmart in the mid-90s than sure. anything else like it's kind of like the other book series like a uh, scary stories to tell in the dark yeah with the really like crazy like cover art oh yeah Maybe, the like, charcoal like all black yeah. and white yes the scary those, stuff <laughs> those, those covers are phenomenal the contents of the books are atrocious like there's nothing scary they're like written for like second graders <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if you ever want a greater discrepancy in like face value versus content Pick up one of those books. You will be severely <laughs> underwhelmed. That's a really good point. Um, but I guess I have to say that while Zach didn't have, or while Zach's experience with the books was very face value, you know, he took the cover and that was it. I was a very avid reader as a child, and I loved the Goosebumps books. Like I said, like I mentioned before, Goosebumps was kind of there for me when I was learning how to read. So, you know, kind of the late 90s, Goosebumps was something that, for some reason, I don't really know why, I latched onto when I was younger. I read, I think, all of the original Goosebumps book books, because, of course, there was the original Goosebumps series, and then there was Goosebumps 2000, and then there was Goosebumps Presents, and there was all these other book spinoffs. But I'm pretty sure at one point in my life, I had read all of the original, and I also owned all of the original at one point, I believe. I'm very sad to say that I think I sold a lot of them at a yard sale or something. I only have one of my original Goosebumps books left, and it's actually the book version of one of the episodes we're going to be talking about today. So I'll hold off on which one that is. But I am very different from Zach in that I absolutely fell in love with horror, horror, I'm doing quotes, horror literature when I was younger. I really liked reading these kind of books, Goosebumps, and, you know, the, uh, I think I maybe might have read, like, one or two Are You Afraid of the Dark novelizations, because I found them at a library, but things that were weird to that extent. Uh, surely you can say that my love of Goosebumps has influenced my love of things today. That's a conversation for a different time. But the last point I want to make about my history with Goosebumps I very explicitly remember being in fourth grade before I knew Zach. And my teacher in fourth grade was Mrs. Caswell. And we had to do book reports in fourth grade. Zach, do you remember book reports? Yeah, but I, I remember doing a lot of those. You, you do remember doing a lot? Not really. I don't, oh. I don't think I did a lot of book reports. Okay, well, I, I think it's been established on this podcast. Zach and I went to elementary school under very different conditions. I had to do a book report like every fucking day. It was unbelievable as far as I remember. And I, I very vividly remember asking my fourth grade teacher if I could do a book report on a Goosebumps book. 
And she gave me, like, the most passive-aggressive answer. Like, she was like, well, you can, but it's going to be very difficult. Like, it was so passive-aggressive, so sarcastic. That has stuck with me since fourth grade. I am... I've spent fucking six years in academia now, and I still remember this from my <laughs> elementary education. So this whole episode, where we dis- we are discussing three separate Goosebumps episodes, we are going to give an analysis, we are going to discuss them in great detail. This entire episode is not just the start of Monstober, it's a big fuck you to Mrs. Caswell that I can't do a goddamn book report on Goosebumps. Fuck you, I can't do a book report on something. Jesus. God, get the... I'm pissed, Zach. Can you can you say something? I'm pissed. I'm pissed about this. So many, so many mysteries of Rob are coming to light right now. <laughs> you can't so many questions are being answered. Passive aggressive bitch about doing a goddamn <laughs> book report about goosebumps. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm doing a podcast for fun on it now. I can't do a goddamn book report on goosebumps. Jesus. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for giving me this outlet. <laughs> so, so this pod, so this episode is cathartic, is cathartic for you. For how many yes. years ago? Now, like what? Fifteen years ago? No, more than that. Probably almost in the ballpark of twenty years ago. Yeah, when I'm thinking, when was I in fourth grade? Maybe so you're, what? Nineteen ninety-eight, nineteen like two thousand, something like that. Well, yeah, you're probably yeah, probably two thousand. So we're talking about like eighteen years ago. Yeah, and I will never forget that that she was so passive aggressive to me, and that's probably part of the reason why I hate people who are passive aggressive now. <laughs> So much explained, folks. So much. Look at explained. that. Look at that. You're getting all the deep dive into Rob. But Zach, I have to say that is the last thing I wanted to say about my history with Goosebumps. Once again, I'm glad we're coming at it from different perspectives. Um, but as you'll see in my discussion, I'm going to hit on some of the differences between the shows and the books, which are pretty interesting because I've read all these books before. All right. Anything else? Anything else you have to say about Goosebumps, Zach, in general? Uh, one thing also I remember with Goosebumps, this was, I forget when exactly it became a, a popular meme, but prob- Rob probably remembers where it came from. But like, I think it was like maybe in the last eight or so years, people started taking like the Goosebumps covers and like adding like real life descriptions oh. to them where like, it would be one, like, uh, like one oh of my, my favorites is like, it's like the like swamp. Cre- Rob probably knows the actual like episode names, but like, he'd be like a swamp guy's hand, like coming from behind the door it'd be like instead of the title being like revenge of swamp thing or whatever don't go in the basement was that what it is yeah i'm pretty sure that one is don't go in the basement okay well instead of that it would be time to see a dermatologist (laughs) and like 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 that's like i remember that was like a big thing up in the last 10 years was like all these like mocking the covers yep yep like there's another one where it's like a bunch of like green like ooze and slime on like the stairwell Uh, monster blood Monster Blood. Well, the title yeah. they have, the title they have is Shrek is Upstairs, Jacket <laughs> Nonstop. And the subtitle is Shrek, please. Use a sock, use a sock or something. Come on, oh dude. God. You know what? Honestly, I completely forgot about these until you just mentioned them. I haven't seen one of these on the internet in so long. I feel like they, they got replaced by the fucking Ice T memes from SVU. Where they would just take Ice oh, T yeah. put any text over him, you know, and you'd read it in his voice and you'd get the joke. Like, Look, isn't it, oh, sorry, there's one more good one that I think you should see. Um, it's the one with the skeleton at the barbecue. That's Say Cheese and Die. Oh, is it? Yeah, that, that's one of the episodes we're going to talk about. Great. Okay, well, well, the title is This Cookout Sucks. I can't eat any, 
I can't eat any of this crap because I'm a skeleton. <laughs> Dude, we need to bring these memes back. We need to like cause a resurgence of these memes. <laughs> how do we Okay, how do we bring a meme back? How, what's the first step in that? <sighs> Making one that is good enough to blow up Twitter. We just okay. need one that causes the avalanche, right? Because you just need one that is so good that people are like, I need to post comps of this. I need to post 60 different Goosebumps covers in a in one post, you know? Like, we just need to be the catalyst as far as I'm concerned. All right, who do we tweet to? Who do we tweet? R.L. Stein. Does he do Twitter? I mean, he does. I see him every once in a while. Someone will, will retweet him and he'll show up in my feed. Really? What does yeah, he he's... say? I don't know. Okay, I'll look at Is he stuff. very no. political? <laughs> I, I don't know. He, I wonder twice he shows up and he'll say something really like, uh, what's the word? Easy to get on board with. He's like, can't we just all be nice to each other? Grilled like, cheese sandwiches are good. <laughs> something like that. Something very low, low, uh, lowest common denominator. But, yeah, the most but, mundane tweet possible. <laughs> well, before I um, look up R.L. Stein, I found another one of the covers. It's okay. a picture of like the kid, the kid standing like, in, like looking in the, like in the giant mirror. He's like staring at like the open, like his open palm. You know, Rob. Yeah, is that "Let's Get Invisible"? I don't know, but the title is oh. "This Kid Just Discovered Masturbation," <laughs> and the subtitle is "Whoa, I didn't know my hand could do that." <laughs> these we need, we need these memes back today. This these memes would save the world, as far as I'm concerned. With the garbage memes we have right now, which are all the fucking same, like the Drake meme and the Kermit meme are identical. They're just different pictures. We need good old goosebumps memes. All right, this is this is this is uh, an example of an R.L. Stein tweet. Okay, From September second. Okay. He he is a uh, quote. He is a. Uh, Wait, Winking September second, a... like ten ten days ago, September second. Yes, 2nd? yes. Oh shit! And it's it's an article title titled "Study Will Pay People to Eat Avocados Every Single Day for Six Months." And his quote, along with it, is "Looking for work? These people will pay you to eat avocados every day for six months." <laughs> so honestly. Did he link you to a real study, or did he link you to the psychological experiment that's supposed to inspire his next book? <laughs> I don't know, but the fact it's from a, it's from myfox8.com, so I'm thinking it's legit. Oh God, that's very strange <laughs> and very depressing too. Honestly, if you if you asked me if I thought R.L. Stein was still alive today, I would have said no. <laughs> Really? I don't think yeah. he's that old. I think he's like in his early 60s. I don't know how old he was either, but from what I remember, from what I remember of the Goosebumps books and what I know now, you know, he was like a mini Stephen King with the amount of cocaine he was putting up his nose, it seems. <laughs> his ideas were fucking crazy in these books, which we'll get into with some of the differences, some of the things the show decided to leave out. Some of these were absolutely batshit insane for kids. It's crazy. So, yeah, I, I would have believed he OD'd, but, you know, good for him. He's still going strong. Oh, my God. Zach's like, okay, we have recorded a 20-minute cold open. <laughs> <laughs>
worst cold open ever. Oh man. Okay, Zach, do you have anything else other than the memes? I like you bringing that up, but anything the else? Mean, you got? The memes are the memes are, are are pretty good. Like the, the memes, memes are, are shockingly on point. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I remember seeing those back in the day. You know, uh, six seven years ago, I would say. And I never see them anymore. When you should. Goosebumps is great. Goosebumps is a cultural icon as far as I'm concerned. Well, there's a Damn. new movie there's a new movie coming out like in a month. Well, I oh god. Are we do should we talk about the movie really quickly? The first one? It, it it's serviceable? It, no, it sucked. <laughs> but like, okay, I'm not talking about it like compare like no, it's not as good as the TV show. This is coming from someone who doesn't really like the TV show that well, much. Well, yeah, it wasn't as good as the TV show, but it wasn't what Goosebumps is. It but wasn't. You, I know, but you can't do that because kids these days don't read books. They, they don't know what Goosebumps is. Yeah, that's you're right there as well. You know, No one's going to pick up like, oh, I get this one story for 200 pages. They want the splish and splash of every big topic from every single book to hit them in the face all at once. And that's what the Jack Black movie was. It was like, hey, you remember this? You remember that? And for some reason, they were like, Slappy the Dummy is the most memorable thing from all of Goosebumps, which it isn't. I have problems with the movie. I have so many problems with the movie, Zach. I'm not even going to see the second one. Well, neither am I. Like, I saw the first one. I got it from like my local library. I'm like... It's fine. Like it's it's well put together. Like it's not bad. Like it's not like it was incompetently made, but it's completely tonally devoid from what or divorced from what the series was going yes. for. The, the television the, series. The television series and the books, I would say. I think that the movie was kind of just using the books as a springboard. It wasn't even representative of what Goosebumps is. It was just a cash grab. Yeah, like I said, uh it's, it's, again, they're trying to make money off of it, but they didn't know how. Yeah, so they yeah. had to be a little clever with it. Yeah, and they, and they were not. <laughs> I don't know. Well, obviously, it made enough money for a sequel that, like, nobody else wanted to be a part of. I, in the original film. Yeah, yeah, I guess everything I'm talking is of my Goosebumps appreciation, of my Goosebumps nostalgia. Goosebumps is an anthology. Goosebump, Goosebumps is not a mashup of different villains. I guess that's my big point. If you were gonna make a Goosebumps movie, I don't know how you could have done. I don't know how you make a Goosebumps movie without trying to create some sort of like continuity amongst all the stories. So uh, that's a good point. There's five Monster Bloods. The original Goosebumps series had Monster Blood one through three, and then Goosebumps two thousand had Monster Blood four, and then Goosebumps continued had Monster Blood five. Monster Blood in and of itself is something that can extend, I guess, for our audience and for Zach that may not know, Monster Blood is just a green goo that is basically an alien life form that infects people and controls them. It's like the thing. It can shapeshift, you know? It's this little alien creature that once it learns something, it can become you, it can act as you. There's five of them. There's five different Monster Bloods. Make that one big movie. That's what I'm saying. That's my that's my pitch. Do one story of Goosebumps. Don't make all the stories come into one and shave off anything that makes them unique. Take one of the well-detailed Goosebumps stories and expand on it. Yeah. It's like I said, that's I, I don't know how to make a good Goosebumps movie because I don't care enough. <laughs> and I would say I don't know how to make a good Goosebumps movie because I'm not well versed enough in making good movies. <laughs> 
All right, Rob. So should we get into okay? Any other backstory with your affinity for Goosebumps? Mm, I guess the one other thing that I want to say really quickly, which Zach might cut out. Should we jump into the episodes that we have? Yes. 60 minutes of intro later, we can Perfect. finally delve into the episodes at hand. Perfect. So we are discussing today three separate Goosebumps episodes. Two of them are regular old half an hour TV spot. One is one of the longer ones, which aired in two parts, but we're going to talk about it together. Um, all of these, I should say, we are looking only at episodes that are based off of the original books. I mentioned that before. We're not doing any of the Goosebumps 2000 ones, so cry the cat. Fuck that one. Trilogy? Trilogy isn't even based off a book. It was just a story they made for the movie, and that's the one where they're like, being greedy and liking baseball are equally as terrible. It's a very, it's a very strange episode. We're not doing those. We're doing the original Goosebumps. The one we're starting off with is Say Cheese and Die. That's the first one we're going to talk about. And Zach gave me a little insight, just a little bit, before we started recording this about what he thought about these episodes when we were discussing what order to discuss them in. If I remember correctly, Zach did not enjoy Say Cheese and Die too much. Yes, Zach, I fell asleep through it like seven Zach, times. I have to say that this is my favorite Goosebumps book my favorite Goosebumps episode, my favorite Goosebumps story. This is why I picked this one. Say Cheese and Die is my go-to. I love it. I love every aspect of it. But we'll talk about that. We'll get into the details some more. Um, before we get into this actual episode, I should say this is the greatest example of R.L. Stein being inspired by the one, the only, Twilight Zone. You ever see the Twilight Zone episode called A Most Unusual Camera? <laughs> About the camera that can predict the future, Zach? No, I never... I, well, definitely... Okay, that's part of the whole thing with Goosebumps is how much it's... In, well, Goosebumps, amongst many other things, was inspired very heavily by Twilight Zone. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I've come to see Goosebumps as in my later years is it's it was kind of trying to be twilight zone for kids not necessarily the the tv show but just the stories with how everything was a little weird and then there's a big twist at the end and it's like oh man everything i thought was true is actually false whoa like it really draws on that uh literary structure i would say but yes say cheese and die is about a camera that when you take a picture with the camera it shows the future and it shows something bad happening the only difference between this and the Twilight Zone episode is that in the Twilight Zone episode, a most unusual camera, the camera just predicts the future. Like, it doesn't make it bad. So in the Twilight Zone episode, they take a picture of, like, a, a horse track results board, and it shows the results for a future race because the camera just sees into the future. And they use it for financial gain. So that's the difference between our two episodes. If you've never seen the Twilight Zone episode of Most Unusual Camera, check it out. If you've never seen the Twilight Zone, check it out. It's great. So, Zach, now that I've said I love this story so much, was I right in saying you were you were bored by it? You said you fell asleep? Is that what you I said? Couldn't, I couldn't figure... Okay, this is the plot of the uh, of this episode. Uh, uh, we, didn't know, we didn't mention Ryan Gosling is like the lead kid in this segment. 
Yes, uh, he my, plays Greg. Yes, uh, Ryan Gosling, aka my boyfriend. And what is he Ryan four? Gosling. He's like four years old in this episode. <laughs> no, my boyfriend isn't four in this. Or not, he's the most gorgeous four-year-old I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, five. <laughs> five. But no, I, I love Ryan Gosling. Uh, I'm going to do a Rob here and go into my 16-minute dissertation about all the things Ryan Gosling has done. Do it. Uh, he, was a, he was a Disney, what was it called? Disney Mickey Mouse Club person. Yeah. He's, again, he's done a little bit of everything. He's a now mouse, Mr. A Mouseketeer? Was that what yes. that was called? Yeah, he was part of like the Mouseketeers revival like in the... Like '90s with like Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake. Again, he's done a bunch of other things. I'm not gonna be like Rob and really go. Just read the IMDb page. Like in 1997, <laughs> he did this. In 1997, he also did that. Uh, but no, everybody knows Ryan Gosling at this point. He's Mister uh, Stoic Man. Every once in a while, someone will float his name to play Batman or something, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, but no, my boyfriend's in this, and even though it, it's funny how he's just kind of doing. He, it's funny how he he has his face looks the same, like. <laughs> Think about it, like twenty years later, he looks the same. Oh yeah, like when you watch this episode and you see him immediately, you're like, "Young Ryan Gosling." He he really does look identical to like anything he's doing today. It's crazy. Yeah. He's and a little bit a little bit taller. Yeah, he has one of those ageless faces. You know, his body grows, but his face retains those same qualities. Exactly. So you have him. He's with his two friends. They sneak into like some like. Like pervert's house or like shanty, they steal the perverts. Like <laughs> it's a warehouse. It's like a full on warehouse. I don't know. Okay, it should also be stated. Rob found like the worst like VHS rips possible of this. <laughs> I know this has been like broadcast in HD on Cartoon Network and it's on like Netflix, but yes. Rob somehow found like the worst VHS rips I possible. Have, like I have like the Jetix rips from 1997 yeah. and shit like that. And like from like Fox, like <laughs> TV when it aired like on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Rob has arguably the worst quality of these. You could like, if you want a time portal into like what was it like watching this like on Saturday morning cartoons. Rob can give you that experience. Oh, we're going to so get like, into why I like that with the second episode we talk about, for sure. I, I, I bet. <laughs> no, the aesthetic works for the second episode. It does work. It doesn't work for the first one. Uh, same with this. Like I said, I couldn't tell if it was a shanty, a warehouse, a building, a crack den, <laughs> who knows. And so they sneak into this guy's like house. He has like weird, like, oh my god, steampunk goggles on, like silver mm-hmm. hair. And they steal like a futuristic telephone, uh, not telephone, a futuristic camera. Uh, the guy shows back up. They run away. Uh, Ryan Gosling, my boyfriend, doesn't put the camera back. He like goes around, and takes pictures of random things, and he sees like all these really kind of like uh, macabre things, like the family cars, like all smashed. Yep. He takes a picture of his friend like on a staircase about uh, before he's about to fall down or fall off of it. Mm-hmm. Takes a picture he- of Sherry, and she's not in the picture, and she disappears. Yeah, and then that's kind of like when I started to, like once the female friend disappears is when I started to lose like my lose a grip on what the show was trying to convey. Cause okay. like, Oh, she just disappears. And the cops show up and the cops do like a great, like they're in on it yet. We only see them that once they never come back. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, the cops are in on it, but I guess not. Cause they don't come back. And then like Ryan Gosling, like tears up the photos and the girl comes back and he's like, where were you? She's like, I don't know. And it's like, well, how'd you get back here? Like, you ripped up the pictures. And he's like, what? And she's like, huh? And we just cut to another scene. He's like, I have to get this camera back to the, the creepy guy. And the whole time this is happening, there's a couple of bullies that like steal the camera from him. And he brings it back. 
he like throws it like the the creepy pervert man with the weird like retro steampunk goggles yeah and then like next thing we know the bullies are in like the crack house warehouse <laughs> and they're like going through like they're like look i found a camera Mike Ryan Gosling didn't know we like he left it here. They start like taking pictures of them. Oh no, I'm sorry. Before that, Ryan Gosling takes a picture of the the creeper guy. Yes, it like captures his soul in a photograph. And then they leave. Then the bullies come back, come to the warehouse, and yet the creeper guy's back to normal. And the episode ends. Yes, the the back to normal. Well, I guess we'll talk about that because the whole thing of Spidey or Spider, as they call this this strange like homeless man with the steampunk goggles, in the episode I take that like when Ryan Gosling and the girl take the picture of him, it traps him in the camera, and then when the bullies take another picture, it releases him. But that's not well described, and that is not what happens in the book. So I really can't add more to that than what I think is going on. <laughs> the episode comes across very incoherent, in my opinion. I, I agree with you. I, I think that I love this episode as much as I do solely for the reason because I love the book as much as I do, it being my favorite Goosebumps story. Zach, you gave a great description of it. I think you described it as exactly like it happens. You know, we got our, our crack den with a camera in it. We got friends disappearing. It was great. Um, but you said you fell asleep. I guess I want to start there. I kept falling asleep at the part, like right before and after when the cops would show up. Cause like I'd fall okay. asleep when the cops showed up and then like rewind it to like five minutes before that. And then like two minutes later, fall back asleep. <laughs> and then like, I, and then like I wake up and I rewind it again and I'd fall asleep during the part where like they capture a uh, spider yep. in the camera. Then I rewind it again and for the life of me, I could not stay up during this episode. <laughs> okay, okay. Which well, I did not experience for the latter two episodes. Sure, sure. Were you awake for the dinner scene with the with the family, with Ryan Gosling and his brother and the parents? So Ryan I Gosling, know what you're getting at. <laughs> he takes the picture of the car, and the car is all banged up. And then he's like, he doesn't want to show the picture to his brother because his brother's not going to understand it. His brother's going to be like, what the fuck is this, you know? And so Ryan Gosling is trying to grapple with, you know, what is this camera doing type of thing. And he has dinner with his family. And the first line in the dinner scene is the brother goes, good chicken, Ma. And the mother goes, it's not chicken, <laughs> Terry. It's veal. <laughs> good veal, Ma. Good, well, well, good veal, Ma. <laughs> it's good chicken, Ma. It's not chicken, Terry. It's veal. Good veal. This has nothing to do with the original, with the story. I do not believe, with all my research, because I don't have the physical copy of the book with me, I don't think this exists in the book. This was just something that is like filler in the episode. And man, if it's not, if it's not the closest damn thing to we ha that we have to honey, this ham is delicious. <laughs> well, I would say there's actually a better line during that sequence, mm. not, during that uh, scene. This is the one I thought you were going to reference. Okay, like, okay. They're all sitting at the dinner table. It's Ryan Gosling, the brother, the two parents. And, like, Ryan Gosling's trying, like Rob mentioned, like, broach the topic of, like, the car being wrecked. And yeah. in the middle of dinner, eating this great chicken mom, <laughs> they're like, we can drive the car now! 
and they all get off wall in the midst of eating and just <laughs> run out to the car and leave Ryan Gosling at the dinner table. <laughs> it's like, like, Rob will insert the clip here. He's been acting really weird ever since he came home. Have you been acting weird? No weirder than usual. Well, I thought you'd be thrilled about the car. He will be after he takes a spin in it. Come on, everybody. Let's go. We'll, we'll clean up later. Shotgun! But it's absolutely, like, astounding. It's like a line dog. It's like, we're just going to sit there, dude. It's like, let's go drive the car now. And they get in the car. <laughs> they almost have, like, a car accident. And they're like, that was close. And I guess I left it out in my description that, like, after they almost have the accident in the car, it's like three minutes later, they're like, dad's in the hospital. He got into an accident. Oh, my and God. Like, there, there's... There's so much to unpack in like the in the two one and a half to two minutes that we just described of the episode. Yes, the whole family jumps up and gets in the car. And then they're, when they're driving in the car, I don't know if you picked up on this, Zach, but the fucking road that they're driving on doesn't make sense. Oh, like, like there's there's these weird divots in the road that they're driving on because. When I watched this for this recording, I was like, I know that they're almost going to get into an accident. Like, I knew what was going to happen in the episode because I've seen it so many times. I know this story. So I was, like, trying to look at the road to see what lane they were in. This road makes no sense. There's, it, it looks like there's four lanes and none of them are big enough for cars. Like, I literally don't know what I'm looking at when I look at the scenes of this road. Like, you cannot tell where one lane ends and one lane begins. There's these weird divots in it that I'm not, I've am not. i never seen before in, like, traffic patterns. So that road doesn't make any sense. But the next thing you said, Zach, when the father gets into a car accident, the way Ryan Gosling finds out about it, the brother just appears. The brother just literally walks into the frame and goes, Hey, young Ryan Gosling, Dad's been in a car accident. Like, there's no way to know... That the brother, there's no way, no establishment that the brother knew where Ryan Gosling was or anything. The brother just materializes and he's like, hey, our dad's almost died, you know? And that's it. That's the motivation. So I totally get where you're saying rushed. It's a weird segment. It's, again, it's disorienting. It's it's more or less incoherent and like it's like, it's just, I think that goes for a lot of goosebumps. I think it's not exclusive to this just war- an individual segment episode because mm-hmm. as i was watching this and then the second episode he ha- rob had me watch i got that feeling where it's just like it's just stuff happening like i don't i, I don't feel a narrative through line it's okay. just like it's hitting plot points that <laughs> it, it just has to hit and like yeah. it, it's always and maybe and this probably leads into why rob loves the vhs rip of it <laughs> is that it does have this weird sort of like 90 surreal foggy dreamlike quality to it yeah i i don't think these episodes in good quality would be as enjoyable i think i would love them because they're goosebumps but uh the graininess and that in the imperfections add a lot to it i feel well i i don't know though because like i think some of these would work because the third episode is much better quality than the first two Yes, I have. I do have a really good copy of that, and we'll get into why I have a better copy of that when we talk about it. <laughs> but I do think there is a. I think, like I said, I think a lot of the Goosebumps stories are incoherent because they're not supposed to be high art. I don't think somebody sat down back in the '90s and really tried to flesh these stories out to make them as 
coherent as possible. For so TV, t- you mean? Yeah, for yeah, for TV. Yes, not, yeah. I, I can't speak for the books. Yeah, I, I think that that would be where my main disagreement comes from. Is that you know, if you read the book, say cheese and die today, well, of course, yes, both of us or anybody who's our age and reads it would go, man, this is very immature literature. But remember, it's a kids' book. But many of those details are better presented, better fleshed out, things of that nature. Yeah, and I think like where Rob likes the grainy. I guess, again, surreal nature of a VHS tape when it comes to this. And I can definitely appreciate that because I have my own version of that with Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, which we will get we'll get into that a couple months from now. Yeah. Where I prefer, I, I cannot fathom like watching that on Blu-ray. Because like, <laughs> I, I, I think the more surreal that movie is, the better. Mm-hmm. But with this, though, I think still if you watched it, like, on sta- like, considering that most of the copies of this are like in standard definition i don't think anybody ever did an hd remaster of of goosebumps the tv series i still think a a quality on par of what the third episode is or that we're going to talk about for the the first two i think would definitely help them i know the second episode like i feel like i was in a fever dream for that one (laughs) i legit like i think that's the closest i've ever felt to a hallucination in my life like i felt paranoid i felt that quality is antsy I wanted to jump out of my skin for that 40 minutes. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad it gave you that reaction. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So I have to ask, when it comes to Goosebumps, are Goosebumps good drug or good uh, media projects to watch while high or on some sort of hallucinogenic? Um, Is this good fodder for, like, freeing your mind? Just a, I would say at most a stoner thing. Like okay. maybe you know, like yeah. When I say stoner thing, certainly you think of marijuana, but I, I consider marijuana kind of in the same class as alcohol, where you're getting yourself into a different mindset, but you're still kind of you, and you still kind of think in the same vein that you've always thought about. I think that if you kind of like did a, a, a real hallucinogenic, like acid or mushrooms before goosebumps. It might not put you in the best mindset. There you go. Because uh, I think that, well, of course, I know for a fact that hallucinogenics affect everybody differently. But I'm speaking from my personal experience. I think I'd want to turn it off. I think like if I watched any of the three episodes we talk about, we're talking about today, and I was on like hardcore hallucinogenics, I would not want to sit through it because of the quality, because of the lack of story because of the immaturity of it i would say you know it's something that you need to dull your senses a little bit more for than you would rather heighten them and look at it in a new perspective does that answer your question i guess i guess i guess considering my uh uh ignorance on this topic is the best (laughs) i could could ask for (laughs) that'll be the update zach and i are gonna do like hardcore hallucinogenics and watch goosebumps and we'll see how it goes (laughs) maybe that last episode but certainly not the first two (laughs) yeah that would be that would be a nightmare okay um well, I see what you're saying. This is a good establishment on Say Cheese and Die because it is kind of one of the episodes that's lacking. I agree with things you said before about how it is kind of rushed and all that stuff. Um, did you have anything else to say about the story in particular? I think uh, there was one more scene I wanted to point out, something that made me scream during my commentary. <laughs> oh, okay. Please go ahead. So we talked about it uh, when Sherry comes back, the friend who's, you know, the girl, she gets the picture taken and she's not in the picture, so she disappears. 
but then Ryan Gosling rips it up and she returns. For, like, barely any reason, Ryan Gosling is going to return the camera from where he stole it, and Sherry shows up, and she's like, hey, I heard you were doing this, I wanted to help, blah, blah, blah. You know, it makes no sense. But this scene takes place at night, and Ryan Gosling has a flashlight. And literally every scene that we see Sherry in, the light is shining directly at her face. It is so... I cannot watch this. This is this is something that I've thought about for like the last few years, because this is one of the episodes I watch every single October, because I love Say Cheese and Die. I watch the sequel as well, which we're not talking about today. Say Cheese and Die again. <laughs> but every single time I watch this, I cannot like fathom this girl shows up and it's like, hey, Ryan Gosling, I want to help you on this adventure. And the only thing he does is shine the flashlight directly into his <laughs> into her eyes. I'd be like, bitch, I'm leaving. Like, I'm not going to help you. Literally, he's shining it straight into her face. It's un- it's unfucking believable that she isn't squinting while these films are being seen. It's crazy. I'm sure there's movie magic that it's not a light directly into her eyes. But that's what it fucking looks like. Ryan Gosling is just basically holding the flashlight directly up to her face and, like, trying to talk to her. It is so off-putting to me. And it's been that way for years. Zach, I'm guessing you slept through this part of the episode? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't pick up on that. But to be fair, at that point, I kind of, like, checked. It, it, once I finally stayed awake for it long enough, pretty okay. sure I just kind of checked out at that point. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was conscious, but just barely. But checked out, okay. <laughs> okay, well, I think that was the only other seed I wanted to point out. Do you have anything else specific to talk about this episode before I give a little of the, uh, the meta stuff, you know? Talk do, about we know what, do we know what the spider guy's deal is? Like, he's a, Is he a creature? Is he a being from another like dimension? Is he just a guy that has this technology? I know at one point he has like a little like monologue. Where he's like, ancient peoples would think if you videotape them, you would capture their soul. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Like, they never really explain, okay, not that I expect them to explain, but yeah. it's not, never even hinted at, like, is he like, like a mad scientist? Because at one point he's like, like, Ryan Gosling's like, oh, we brought you your camera back. And he's like, well, I can't let you leave now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why not? As long as you have the camera, <laughs> what's the issue? It's like, yeah. nobody believes him. So in the, in the show, in the episode, I think they just try and play it as Spider is the inventor of the camera. And when he realizes that, but he invented it so that it would just predict the future, but instead it predicted the future and made it bad. And so since his experiment went awry, he kind of secluded himself and the result from the world. That's how I've kind of envisioned it. That's not completely fleshed out in the episode, but I can say it's fleshed out much more in the book. In the book, Spider did not invent the camera. His lab partner did, who was also a master of the dark arts. So basically, Spider knew like a wizard who invented this camera, and he killed the wizard and stole the camera for his own gain, but realized his mistake and secluded himself from the rest of the world. I think that's the story to latch onto. That Spider is someone who was greedy for this, you know, unimaginable technology, but he's realized and regretted his mistake with obtaining it. That's the true story behind him. All right. I like that one much better than, you know, this dude is just like, I made a camera that could steal your soul, now I live in a basement. 
because <laughs> like, that's what it is in the episode. That's all it is. And then he's just like, I'm going to capture some kids. Ha-ha. It's everything why I dislike Goosebumps, along with the okay. second episode. Okay, okay. Well, we'll get into that more. Um, for Before we wrap this episode up, there's a few things I want to say. One, the Voice evil... Acting. Well, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Ryan Gosling's first Ryan... acting role in 1989 was... <laughs> no, no voice acting. Uh, I wanted to say, one of the things I wanted to point out, we talked about it before, the Jack Black Goosebumps movie that threw all these ideas together. There is nothing from Say Cheese and Die in the movie. The evil camera, that's actually what it is known as in the Goosebumps universe. This camera is the evil camera. It does not make an appearance. The only thing you might say is somewhat related to Say Cheese and Die is and the end credits of the Goosebumps Jack Black movie, when they're showing like different animations as the credits roll, we get a very brief shot of the skeletons at the barbecue. That's the only thing that exists in the new movie of the evil camera. Which is a little bit of a bummer, because in all of Goosebumps, this is a trilogy. There's three Say Cheese and Dies. There's Say Cheese and Die, Say Cheese and Die Again, and then there's Say Cheese and Die 3. <laughs> say Cheese and Live Free or Die Hard? Oh, uh, you, you could a only A good hope. day to Say Cheese and Die? Say Cheese and Die Harder. <laughs> That's the movie I want to see. Yes. So I was, I'm a little bummed that, you know, I, I watched the Jack Black Goosebumps movie once and I didn't like it, but you didn't get to see any of the evil camera. And that's like one of my favorite things from Goosebumps. It sucked. Uh, so that I wanted to point out. Some differences between the book and the show. We already talked about the ending and, you know, Spidey. Uh, I guess the one other thing is that in the book, Spider actually dies. Like they take the picture of him and it kills him. Like he is 100% dead in the book. In here, of course, he, like, gets captured and gets freed, which makes no sense because they never touch on it in the sequel. The sequel did get an episode, by the way. I think it's season three. Um, in the book, there's a whole other friend. There's a fourth friend. In the show, there's only three, the two guys and the girl. There's another guy in the book. Um, there's a whole scene in the book where Bird, the friend who's juggling in the show, he doesn't juggle in the book. He plays baseball. He gets his picture taken before a baseball game, and the picture shows him breaking his neck. And then he breaks his neck in the book. The book's a little more gruesome. Um, the last thing I want to point out, which no one really knows why they did this. In the original book, Say Cheese and Die, and the sequels, the evil camera looks like a regular camera. Like, there is literally nothing distinguishing the evil camera from a regular Polaroid in the books. But for some reason, they make it look like this futuristic toaster in the show. And no one really knows why they made this decision, because it makes more sense that these kids would be like, oh, look, it's a camera, okay. And then they'd have to stumble on that it's evil. Very, very strange episodic or you know visual representation decision they made. But worth pointing out that the evil camera is a regular camera. What do you think, Zach? Cool stuff? Not gonna lie, I, as a kid, if I saw a giant like toaster that could take my picture, I'd be infinitely more engaged with that than just a regular like Polaroid. Well, taking the shoes of a child, yes, but for, I feel like from a story perspective, it being uh, you know inconspicuous is a little more mysterious. I would say. I think the opposite. I want more fantastic. I want it to look stranger. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like Fair in enough. all honesty, Fair. I'm glad more money went toward that, like as a prop. 
I, I wish they'd done more with Spider other than making just a guy with goggles that like yeah. wandering around like like a warehouse. Yeah, sure. He's not really spooky. He's just a guy. Yeah, yeah he really is. <laughs> yeah, it's just the kids think he's weird. There's nothing really off about him except he's like wants to be alone and he wears goggles. <laughs> okay, but that's it. That's all I had about say cheese and die. A uh, very incoherent, surreal episode. Nowhere near as uh, incoherent. No, okay. This episode is more incoherent, but it's less surreal than the next episode we're going to talk about. Yes. And let's just move right on to it. We are talking about one of the longer Goosebumps episodes next. It is one of the two-parters, which many uh, books got turned into. I'm a little surprised that this one got turned into a two-parter. But it is Attack of the Mutant. So, like we've said already, I guess just to to set the stage, the quality of this episode is terrible. The audio, the video, everything. It's just good old VHS rip, as Zach said. Uh, And it's long. It's the longest episode we're talking about. This is not one of the most famous Goosebumps books. This one doesn't really get talked about when you hear people talking about Goosebumps, like Say Cheese and Die, Monster Blood, the famous ones, Calling All Creeps, Go Eat Worms. There's some ones that have kind of stuck with Goosebumps fans throughout the years. This is not one of them. The reason that I decided to choose this one, Zach, the reason I decided that we should talk about this, you might have seen this one coming. Zach, this... This 40 minutes is 100% better than any Marvel movie. <laughs> That's where I'm going with this. Uh, this, is, this is not great. This is not one of the best Goosebumps episodes. This is not one of the best episodes of anything ever. But goddamn, this is better than any fucking superhero movie we have today. <laughs> I don't know. Didn't have 9-11 imagery in it, so that's one check against it. Okay, well... Well, now you're throwing a wrench into things. <laughs> because we're recording this a day after 9-11. We haven't even talked about that yet. <laughs> yeah, no, poor taste, poor taste. So, so yes. I guess to set the stage, since Zach did the plot summary for the last one, I'll give a quick plot summary for Attack of the Mutant. We follow a, a kid named Skipper. Skipper loves comic books. But for some reason in the universe of this episode, everybody thinks comic books are the equivalent of heroin. Like, if you're reading comic books, you are as bad as a junkie. That's how this episode portrays comic books. He is kind of a loner because he only, he's the only one who likes comic books. And when he finds a girl who likes comic books, she likes different types of comic books. But he finds part of a comic book that he loves in reality. He finds the headquarters of a villain. And as he explores the headquarters of this villain, uh, it slowly reveals that this villain and the hero are real in reality, to some extent, and he is mixed up in the fight between them. And not just gets mixed up, but he is expected to help the hero, and he's expected to be an uh, an antithesis of the villain, to some extent. And that's where this episode goes. It's superhero-based, it's comic book-based, we get a character thrown into this world. It's Watch this! What's the next Marvel movie coming out? Captain, Captain Marvel? Planet. Ca- Captain, Captain Buy Captain the Next Ticket, you stupid fucks. That's the name of the movie. Skip that one. Just watch this. This is self-contained. It's one story. It's better than any Marvel movie you're going to see today. I don't know. Maybe Iron Man 3 comes close to this. 
you know, this movie, this this segment might be only forty minutes long, but it feels like forty hours long. <laughs> yeah, instead of watching all of the phases of the MCU, just watch this. <laughs> it, it, it's the same time length, actually. Indeed. Oh, okay, Zach. Well, I guess uh, that's why I picked this one. I wanted to pick one that was one of the feature length episodes. And by far of the feature-length episodes, this is my favorite. I think The Haunted Mask, which is the first episode of the Goosebumps show ever, that's terrible. I don't even like The Haunted Mask book. And I figured this would be good because I like this story better than any of the Marvel movies. And I'm fucking serious about that. <laughs> so now, Zach, why did you not like this? Give me oh, some beats. This episode is, okay, not, okay uh, story arc, it's a slog. It's just like it goes. It's like the pacing is horrible on it. It just feels like it goes on forever. A lot of like stuff happens. It's just repetitive. Like the amount of times he takes the bus to the stupid like space station in the middle <laughs> of like the parking lot. It's like enough. Like there could have been a lot of like what should have happened was like okay, like Rob said, it's this kid named Skippy or Skipper or Skipper, yeah, whatever. And like Rob says, the parents treat treat comic book like reading like it's the worst thing in the world mm -hmm. as i was watching i'm like oh just wait 10 years kid no one's able to put these stupid things down yeah or it's, everyone's gonna be obsessed with them just as much as, as you are and the parent it's funny like obviously the father's made it look like clark kent he has a very oh clark my kent vibe i'm so glad you said this because literally one of my notes is the main character's dad is a dumbass clark kent motherfucker that is literally what i wrote in my notes because the moment he's on screen, you just think Clark Kent. And as soon as he starts talking, you go, this guy is a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, I was waiting for him to turn into something like like he was like a spy or he was part mm -hmm. of the villain's plan. Because he did come across a little too like contrived like in his actions. Like, oh, what are you doing there, son? And the fact he almost catches him like like uh, reading in the middle of the night when he thinks he's yeah. doing like, algebra. Yeah. Like, oh, there's include the fact that he looks like Clark Kent. They're trying to... Uh, uh, pull a fast one on us by being like, oh, wow, he's the bad guy. Clark Kent's the bad guy. Don't do anything like that. But no, the pacing is just horrible. Like numerous times he's at school, Skipper, and he's like doing his thing. It's his friend that likes to collect rocks because they're they're not hard to collect. They're just everywhere. And it's like, oh, my God. And he goes on the bus because he has an orthodontist appointment, but he over like, like what's he, uh, he misses his stop because he's talking to the girl who likes Archie comics because they couldn't say Archie <laughs> comics. Yeah. They had to say something like slight, say like Archie, it's like Barchi. I love the Barchi comics. It, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like Barchi and his pal Beanhead or something. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Instead of like Jughead, it's like uh, Gallonhead yeah. or something. Yeah. It, it's like, oh, my God. Um, clearly, that's for the parents that are being forced to watch this. And like, okay, so he gets off the bus. And he sees, like, this giant, like, space station. And for the longest time, I thought, like, the Mutant Avenger, or whatever his name is, was the good guy. The man. It wasn't until Adam... Yeah. Whatever. Until Adam West showed up, I'm like, oh, wait, he's not the bad guy. Because there's a couple of really cool effects in this. Like, we have, like, the Mutant Avengers, like, head coming through the, the um, comic, comic book. book. Yeah, like, that's like a really cool effect. out of the page, yeah. Yeah, that was neat. I wish there was more stuff like that. That's the stuff that kind of, like, my ears perked up four and so he goes to the parking lot sees the space station does he go into it the first time no no the first time he just sees it and he's like completely baffled by it but he has to get to his orthodontist appointment second day he goes back it's not there 
But then later that night, he gets the comic book in the mail that says that there's like an invisibility shield. Third day, he goes back with the girl, walks through the invisibility shield. That's when they explore it. And Zach then was, Zach was and, like, that was way more detailed of an answer than I expected. <laughs> no, that's what I wanted. And then he walks through it with the girl that third time. They leave again. Mm-hmm. Then they, he goes back again by himself. The girl, then he finds Adam West is like um, Antelope Man. And yes, the galloping gazelle. Sure. And then he finds, then the girl just shows up randomly once Adam West just like leaves for no reason. And then like all this stuff happens. Like obviously it's like um, the comic book is imitating his life. Uh, the life is imitating comic book nonsense. Yes. And it's like this is just, then you find out the girl that's been following him this entire time. Is like like the mutant Avenger at the same time, but like yep. in disguise. But whatever, because he's, he's a shapeshifter. The mass mutant can shapeshift into anything. And one of the reveals in this episode is that he had shapeshifted into the girl to kind of follow him and see what he's learning as he learns it. Yeah. So you have that. He has like a, like a small, like a brief fight. What's he do? Does he like pour like acid on him or something? Well, in in the show, he tricks i'm doing air quotes because it's the stupidest fucking thing in the show he tricks the masked mutant mutant into turning into sulfuric acid and when the masked mutant turns into a liquid he can't turn back like he can only shift between solid states so when he shifts into a liquid he kind of is dead and in the book there's a whole plan about how they how they actually like force him to turn into a liquid they're like oh if we if we can make him come into contact with a liquid while he's shape-shifting, it will, like, override his abilities and make him turn into the liquid. The book is actually really cool in that sense, that there's a clever way the characters need to figure out how to beat him. In the show, the main character just pretends to be the Elastic Boy, and the Mass Mutant goes, how do I beat you, Elastic Boy? And he goes, sulfuric acid. Oh, whoops, I shouldn't have said that. And the mass mutant starts to turn into sulfuric acid, and then he's like, oh, fuck, I'm stupid. I turned into a liquid. Now I'm dead. <laughs> like, it is terrible in the show. They they remove all of the depth and the cleverness to how they defeat the mass mutant. It is literally the mass mutant forgetting his only weakness. <laughs> yeah, and plus it's, it's like, considering this is a 45-minute-long episode— it's like instantaneous wrap up. Like yes. we have like forty minutes of just like, oh my god, like the 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 stuff's going on. Again, he goes to and from the stupid spaceship four times. Mm-hmm. Like condense, be concise. Yes, it's like have and- him go. The, have him go the first time. It's there. He has to go to this orthodontist appointment. He goes back the second time. The girl goes with him and do it all that. Like you could very easily yeah. condense oh, yeah. this and, and make the um, how to beat the masked Avenger. Much more uh, streamlined <laughs> if you cut out a lot of this. You pr- cut out the parent stuff. Like we've established, the, fa- the 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 father doesn't like comic books. The mother is more or less indifferent. The mother is fucking like, like a Julie Haggerty knockoff. I think. Like yeah. she has that timid aspect to her, and she's like, her voice is very airy and light, and she's like, oh well, Skipper. Your dad's not going to want to see you doing that. And I just, I saw it and I'm like, is this Julie Haggerty's sister? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very uh, cliche I, performance. It's I agree. Not... The parents are pieces of shit. They could be removed completely. Um, you know, honestly, Zach, I agree with you. And, and this is one of the things where you have, we have, or maybe I have to ask myself, 
why did this book become a two-parter? When not every single book became a two-parter, for example, Say Cheese and Die, that was a one-parter, you know, 20 minutes. I have a feeling, because this is the only episode of Goosebumps to legitimately have a guest star. Ryan Gosling is famous now. He was not famous when he was a child actor and aired and, and starred in Say Cheese and Die. Adam West was a celebrity. And I would imagine when they were like, oh man, we have a superhero thing, we can get Adam West, we need to make it more extravagant. Like, they couldn't get Adam West for a 20-minute episode, they needed him for a 40-minute episode. Is that a possibility? I, I don't know. Cause like I, don't, time, yeah, I don't know either. At this time, Adam West was really like the definition of like washed up. Yeah, because like, this was I, late ninety or you know mid nineties, and he was from way before that time. Yeah, and this like was before Family Guy, when he he really got his his well, meme right, revival. This is, this is like really right before Family. Like this is like on the on the on the verge of Family Guy. You're right, because Family Guy I think was like it's like ninety eight, like ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah. Well, what, like what went to production probably like in ninety eight or so. Okay. So and this was like what what like ninety. I think this was I think this was 96? 95 or 96 this season, yeah. So yeah, so no, and so like I don't know. It's like, oh wow, they had uh, Adam West money. Let's see how we can spend it. Okay. I, and plus he's not in it enough. He's in it for maybe one sequence and that's it. He disappears. Yeah, you're right. He only acts in the second half of the episode. He's only in really part two, but you do get some voiceover for him at the start of part one when Skipper's reading a comic. Yeah, but that's easy enough. Yeah, that's just like, oh, we I, have him doing this. Let's throw it in somewhere. I think this is this story's a weird sort of catch twenty two, where you probably can't do it justice in twenty two minutes. Okay. Yet there's not enough there for forty four. Okay. And I think okay, that's, that's the fair. issue. It's in a weird sort of rock and a hard place where it's like, how do we do this without padding it out? Yet at the same time, it needs more time than like twenty one minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and it okay. suffers. It's like, and obviously they they needed to adapt every single one of these books part of the show. So it was like, oh well, well we had the money for it because clearly, like it's funny watching them interact with some of the clearly uh, primitive green screen TV <laughs> yeah. quality, like, like uh, blue screen stuff. Like it's fun watching that. Where like, you can tell like, they have like touch screen buttons and they're clearly just pushing it like a piece of cardboard that's blue. And it's like, huh, why isn't the elevator working? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, the kids are pissed about that. Like, it's two middle school kids, and the elevator doesn't come right away, and both of them are like, what the fuck, this stupid machine isn't working? Like, I feel like the script is very is very much adult in that portion of the episode. Like, the kids get way too angry about this elevator not working. <laughs> yeah, and there's elements, too, like, like, even, like, how Rob mentioned the hazy dreamlike nature. Like, this might have been, I don't know, I, like, the, the hazy dreamlike part of this works a little bit in favor mm-hmm. of the previous uh, Ryan Gosling episode, but this one, I don't think it's meant to be as like, surreal. Yeah. Because it is meant to be like this, like, oh, like real life here. So like toward the end when he becomes like a last boy, he's like stretching his arms and stuff like that. It kind of works, but like the hazy, the, the haziness definitely helps hide some of the, uh, Oh God. Outdated special effects. Yeah. Yeah. Like the giant pink spatial ship, spaceship in the parking lot. That, Ooh, boy, that needs every single uh, <laughs> scene hidden as possible, because that thing just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I feel you, for sure. The Elastaboy stuff, the end of this episode, I guess we'll get to that, because I think they ruined... The end of the book is actually very different. I, I think they ruined it with the, with the episode. But before we get to that, the one thing I want to talk about is 
one of the things I really did like in this episode, you know, all kidding aside, uh, yes, this is better than any Marvel movie, 100%. Um, but all the other kidding aside, I really, really love about this episode that there's the small scene where we have the two little kids. One collects comic books, one collects rocks, and they start they they start to have the conversation of like people have different preferences. Like that's not something you get in a kids show a lot, you know. It's like I wish they had spent more time on that. They're like. I don't get why you collect rocks. Well, I don't go. I don't get why you collect comic books. And it's like the seeds of a really good introspection for a child is there, but they don't go into it because if you remember Zach, the way that scene ends is they're both like, "Oh, we don't understand each other, but fuck rocks and fuck comic books. What do you have for lunch?" One kid goes, "I have a tuna sandwich." The other kid goes, "Me too. Do you want to trade?" And they go, "What for?" I don't know. And they trade. That's how that scene ends, where they trade the same exact fucking sandwich. And it's the biggest goddamn letdown. Because if, if a kid watches a show, they should take a lesson from it. And man, the lesson that, like, different people like different things, that's a very important lesson. And Goosebumps almost got it. Goosebumps was almost there, Zach. All right, okay, you see, everybody? This is exactly how I felt when we watched Sophia the First. And Sophia's telling Menace to go F his parents. Well, that's a good like, message. And, and, no, it's not. <laughs> not for toddlers. And Rob's like, that's exa- every four-year-old should be telling their parents to F off. And I'm like, ah, like, no, no, no. And that's how I felt, what Rob's feeling right now. It's like, like where I give it, okay, forget about, like, I don't think Goosebumps is trying to teach kids anything. Yes. Um, I, I really don't think that, like, I with the, the Ryan Gosling episode, like maybe this should like you go back to twice as I was watching this, I was trying to figure out like what is this show trying to imitate? And mm-hmm. obviously I think a lot of shows of this, any sort of anthology horror series yeah. automatically owes some sort of credit to the Twilight Zone and Rod Sterling. Good old Rod Sterling. Good old Rod Sterling. <laughs> to this day people are still trying to crack the code that he figured out in the sixties. Uh, Oh, um, yeah. but, but like as I was watching this, I couldn't help but get the feeling that this is clearly trying to rip off Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. more than it is the Twilight Zone. Okay, because by the time this came out, there already was another Twilight Zone. There was a Twilight Zone revival. That oh failed. yeah. Oh god, don't get me started on all the revivals. <laughs> and then, like, also in the eighties, before Tales from the Crypt was Tales from the Dark Side. Yep, which was another. Uh, Again, not as ground. Uh, it's hard to say, hard to call the Twilight Zone grounded, but comp- like, Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, are nowhere near as grounded as the Twilight Zone is. They're much more yes. macabre. They're pulpy, stuff of that nature. Yeah, and yeah. That- so whereas the Twilight Zone, when you watch an episode of the Twilight Zone, the big twist at the end is supposed to teach you something. Yeah, whereas there's, there's a moral in, to the story. Yeah, whereas in Tales of the Crypt and Tales from the Dark Side and Goosebumps, the twist at the end is just supposed to make you go, "Whoa!" and that's it. Yeah, and, yeah. I, def- and I definitely like. And there's certain ep- like not all of the episodes are the same, but I think that was the problem with a lot of those shows. They went for the entertainment factor mm-hmm. over the uh, enlightenment factor. Yes. And this and Goosebumps is like we like we're gonna try to copy the macabre, pulpy nature of all these shows. Mm-hmm. Yet we're not gonna try teaching a lesson, which I think the lesson would be even more important 
in a kid's version of this because there's at least some sort of a... I think that's why this show doesn't work for me in that it feels like... It's like a Jolly Rancher. Okay. Like, it's sugary, it's sweet, it tastes good for a few seconds, and after I finish eating it, most likely I have a stomach ache. <laughs> there's no substance gotcha. to it. Sure. Like, where, like, things like Tales from the... Some Tales from the Dark Side episode, and I haven't watched a lot of Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. There's at least production value like really campy tongue-in-cheek like production value we should kind of like glom onto with Mm -hmm. goosebumps unless you have that element of nostalgia i don't think there's any reason to watch it you know what i uh, i see what you're saying and i agree you know you don't get those when when they have the twist in goosebumps it's not a mind-blowing twist you know of course like we said it's not to teach you a lesson um but it's not anything that really sticks with you at the same time, you know, or maybe to compare that to Tales from the Crypt, like there are Tales from the Crypt episodes that I can think of that have stuck with me. And maybe they weren't, you know, the most enlightening in terms of something. It was like the twist was memorable to a certain extent. So I agree with you kind of in our, I don't know, reverse triangle, like the the, the overarching mascot for this genre would be twilight zone and we've had these kind of smaller and maybe less successful derivatives of it and right at the bottom in the smallest little category is goosebumps which is the kids version of it which doesn't really do anything that the others have done but it attempts to recreate it well enough for the audience it was serving yeah i like that idea i like the problem but i think the thing is that this show could have had i think any sort of like i would imagine somewhere there's got to be, whether it be Cartoon Network or whoever has the television rights for Goosebumps, mm-hmm. must be trying to figure out a way to get it on Netflix or Hulu oh, um, or Lord knows what streaming service. Like a revival. I guess, I guess speaking of which, because you just mentioned it, all of Goosebumps is on Netflix for anyone that's interested in watching these episodes. <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's there. So you can well, you can watch them in better quality than VHS rips from Jetix in like 1997. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> um, but like whoever is like making these kids shows, so that's one thing that's worth noting is that like yes, there's things like Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and that's clearly not trying to teach you a lesson. I never watched Stranger Things, but from what I can glean of what I've read and watched about it, I don't think Stranger Things is trying to teach you a lesson. There's no moral to the story. Yeah, yeah. And considering that there's really nothing, like there's so many macabre, pulpy TV shows now. Mm-hmm. You'd think someone would try to do what like why rod serling's show resonated even night gallery to a lesser extent resonates yeah, to this day yeah, sure is that it does have that core to, that, that timeless like anecdotal core to it mm-hmm. like all the weird stuff that happens in the twilight zone like like some of the more famous episodes like was it the the the, the nightmare at twenty thousand feet the, oh the, uh, yep with the gremlin on the yeah wing of the plane. william shatner yep. sees the gremlin the invaders um, People don't realize that William Shatner one was a candid camera. Like he didn't like they didn't tell him they were filming. They just watched him hallucinate on like he had too many drinks one night and they just filmed him <laughs> in a plane. Nobody knows yeah. that. Yeah, that's a very um, famous one. Uh, the Invaders, like I said, that's a very famous one. Yeah, um, there's the what was it the the I forget what it was like, like uh, beauty comes from like underneath or something where it's like the beauty like, is in the eye of the beholder. Yes, I yeah, and, you're so right. You're making the exact point. I will never forget. When I was like eight years old and I saw that episode, Beauty is in the Eye of the Beholder of the Twilight Zone, I'm never going to forget that episode, watching it, how it made me feel. But I'm going to forget like watching Goosebumps 
one night on TV, you know, there is that difference, that moral core that we were talking about. Yeah, and I think that, like, when we also eventually get to real scary stories, there'll be a hallmark. I think it's without nostalgia, a lot of these things have no meaning. There, there, yeah, it's like, that's, that's there, fair. That's there's fair. I, as much as like I said, I, I don't mean to denigrate goosebumps because the next segment we're about to get to completely <laughs> flies in the face of everything I'm about to say, <laughs> except for the moral of the story. The next segment has no moral to the story. Sure, um, I, but I, I see what you're saying, and I think not think I, I believe I agree because you know not to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, let's say in terms of late night movie, if I was like, hey, we're gonna watch Goosebumps at like 1 a.m. to a drunk person, if they don't have the connection to Goosebumps as a child, they're not going to like it, they're not going to want to watch it, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to fit that motif. And so extrapolating that from the late night, you know, kind of uh, motif, if I was just talking to someone about TV shows and I mentioned Goosebumps, I totally agree with you, Zach. If they did not have that connection to Goosebumps as a kid, there would be nowhere to go. There's nothing else to add. Other than, hey, you remember it? As, as somebody who who fits Rob's scenario nine out of ten ways, except for the, the uh, drunk person part, <laughs> uh, Rob tried to get me hooked on this ten years ago. It didn't work then, and it didn't work now. Like yeah. I, 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 like, I love Halloween-y, macabre, spooky, uh, ghosty stuff, mm-hmm. and there's nothing in this. Unless, again, I don't know. Uh is there anything more you want to say about this episode, Rob, or can we trans? Because I, I, I feel I have a transition point into the next episode. Well, I, I did. I gave away the big thing, the big difference between the show and the book. I already talked about that. How they defeat the mass mutant in the book is very different from how they do it in the show. Uh, the one other thing, two other things, I should say, that I want to throw out. Uh, one is, I think, I wanted to know if Zach noticed. There's one, sh- uh, one shot in Attack of the Mutant where we get to see a full-frame view of the bus that our main character rides on, and there is an advertisement for Goosebumps books on the side of the bus. Did oh, you notice really? that? I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, I, I've noticed that. I've known about that for years. Like, I've read about it in trivia and Goosebumps stuff, and it's just, every time I see this episode, it always catches my eye. Because it's something like, um, it says, like, Goosebumps, and then there's, like, five stars, and there's, like, two skeleton thumbs-ups on either side of it. It's a pretty interesting graphic. The other thing I wanted to point out is a throwaway line. I don't think Zach is going to have anything to say about this. So, Zach, you can feel free after I rant about this to transition right into the next episode. When our main character is talking to his friend who collects rocks, and Skipper's like, there was this building one day, but the next day it was gone, and it's behind this invisibility cloak. The friend says something like, that's why I like collecting rocks. There's no invisible rocks. Bitch, how do you know? How do you know there's no invisible rocks? You like, Get the fuck out of here. This kid thinks there's no invisible rocks, right? There's no way. Literally no one in the world knows if there's no invisible rocks. That is bullshit. This kid is a son of a bitch. Fucking no invisible rocks. He's limiting himself. He's like... If you're collecting rocks, you should think that there are invisible rocks and you need to challenge yourself more to find them so you can have them in your collection. <sighs> did you get angry about that that line, Zach? <laughs> I did not get uh, even slightly impassioned about that line. Next episode is Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns. I had no idea what this episode was until I watched it. And before we get into it, though, 
Or maybe we want to explain it first. Let's explain it first. All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to explain this the best way I can, you know, in, in my oh-so-eloquent elo- way. I, I have no idea what any of the kids' names are, so we're just going to call, start calling them, calling them different things. We have kids A and B, 1 and 2, and Alpha and Beta. <laughs> I don't know any of their names. So we start off with uh, boy and girl A and B. Okay. Drew and, and Walker. Sure. Uh, that narrows it down. And then two other kids, one Shane and two. Shane and Shauna. One and two show up, and they're like, oh, like the the the, the black girl from A and B, or whatever. I'm losing track of my own thing, though. The black girl's like, hey, other kids, I haven't seen you since you moved away a year ago. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, great to see you. And like the the, the black girl's friends, like uh, white guy, tall white guys, like, hey, what's up? And they're like, nothing much, guy. How you doing? Then, like, these other two kids come out, and they're like, hey, we're going to scare all of you. Tabitha and, like, and Joe. Sure. And <laughs> they sit there, and they start talking to the two kids that, like, moved away. And they're like, good to see you. You're still jerks. Nuh-uh, you too. And it's like, oh, my God. Is this going to be an entire episode like this? It's like, kill me now. So I can't – and they're like uh, – the black girl's like, who's really, like, the protagonist of this, is, is yeah. this episode. It's like, I wish we could get back at those guys for, like, trying to, like, spook us all the time. And the two kids that moved out of town are like, we know the perfect plan. And so the black girl calls her, um, calls the two kids that are, like, trying to spook them. It's like, hey, why don't you come trick-or-treating with us? Like, we want you to, like, come with us because you'll know how to, like, like, scare other kids. And they're like, okay, we don't sense anything weird about this. We'll definitely come along. <laughs> and so um, the tall white guy goes over to, like, the black girl's house and she's dressed as like what, like a cheerleader, or like superhero, superhero, whatever. But it's not a specific superhero. Her name in the episode is Drew, and her costume is to dress up as like a low budget superhero and call herself Super Drew. Okay, Super Drew, whatever. They could they couldn't say like Ms. Mo- they couldn't say Wonder Woman or or whatever. So they, they picked no, yeah. a costume. Yeah, they don't say that, but they do say Mighty Mouse at one point in the episode. Well, <laughs> does anybody even own that character anymore? Who's going to uh, sue like, for Mighty Mouse? Probably Cartoon Network, who owns Goosebumps. <laughs> Why not? Um, and then, like, the white guy friend comes over, and her parents, like... like never mind, okay, this is the, one of the most interesting parts. This is why I started getting really, like, intrigued by this episode. For the record, I, I love this episode. Yes. He yes. comes I, over. I guess I should say, I, I'm so glad, Zach, that you like this episode, because I prefaced this whole episode when I was like, Zach, let's do a Goosebumps episode. Zach basically said, we're going to do it, but I'm not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like when he gave me, I don't know what, 36 days of Unsolved Mysteries, yes. and I, I was just like, I need to find one segment I really fucking love, and it was the Miracle Buffalo, and I'm happy about it. I'm glad, even though I didn't give Zach all four seasons of Goosebumps, that I found the episode he really likes. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> yes. And so this is this is the part of the episode where I start getting intrigued. The guy friend comes over and he's dressed like in like a black turtleneck with like like a black like imagine like a, a leather jacket, but instead of it being made out of leather, it's made of like like have like an oil slicker or like a raincoat. It's, it's like, like latex. Yeah. Yeah, it's like latex spandex almost. And like he comes in and the parent dad's like the, her dad's like what are you supposed to be he's like like what's he say like I'm an he angry says, no he, so the dad says Walker what are you supposed to be the Beatles circa 1962 
So that's what the dad says. The dad sees his like black suit and goes, are you supposed to be the Beatles circa 1962? Which one is actually incredibly fucking spot on. Because that is exactly the what wardrobe was the black suits and the black ties was the Beatles were wearing in 1962. But no, Walker says, I'm a dark and stormy knight. <laughs> and he proceeds and like, and the father's like, I get, I get the, the dark. dark where's the, the stormy? stormy? And he pulls out a squirt gun and squirts him in the face. It, right in the face, like direct hit. It's unbelievable. Like, I would have thrown this kid out of my fucking house if he shot me with a squirt gun. <laughs> and it's really funny. When I first watched, well, okay, the first and only time I ever watched this, <laughs> when he asked, what are you supposed to do? I'm like, I yelled at my TV, the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> if you look at any of the artist renditions of the Zodiac Killer, he is dressed just like that. Hold on, I'm, pull- I'm pulling this up. I'm <laughs> Oh, this is so fucking funny. This is so funny. Oh, of course, I get a picture of Ted Cruz. <laughs> Why wouldn't you get a picture of Ted Cruz? Oh, yeah, this day and age. Oh, my God, you're so right, Zach. It's like literally every fucking picture on Google Images. <laughs> I told you, that's what it looked like. I'm like, oh, he's going. Like, somebody at Goosebumps <laughs> definitely has a dark, dark sense of humor. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Um, we've got uh, Super Drew and the Zodiac Killer go off to go trick or treating. <laughs> they um, they meet up with the kids that are like the like that like to scare people. The bullies. The bullies. The bullies. Uh, the bullies. In, in, in my notes, I called them the bullies. They are Tabitha and Joe. Before you we keep, get any, you keep giving them names like it matters. <laughs> okay, okay. They're Tabitha and Joe. They're Wanda and Max. <laughs> Call them whatever you want. They're, they're, okay, they're, the they're the bullies. They're the bullies, yes. But so, before, before we get any further, I really want to okay. point out the, the moment Zach is talking about right now. Because, Zach, I don't want to derail you from your full-on analysis of this episode because it's beautiful so far. But I have to point out, when, when we see them meeting up for trick-or-treating, they're dressed as as the episode calls them, space warriors. That's oh, what they yeah. de- That's what they decide to go trick-or-treating as. Literally earlier in the episode, they are introduced, scaring our main characters with two of the highest quality werewolf costumes I've ever seen in my goddamn life. Like, literally the night before Halloween, these two bullies decide to use their cinematic level Halloween costumes to scare people, but then on the actual Halloween, they fucking have a tiara made out of cardboard, and that's their costume. Like, like, come on, Goosebumps. Like, I get they might have props issues and filming issues, but that that stands out to me every time I watch this episode. Like, clearly these kids have better fucking costumes, and they are voluntarily choosing not to use them. That makes no sense to me. No sense at all, Zach. Did you pick up on that? Uh, yeah, the kind of, I know at one point in the episode before um, where we kind of stopped mm-hmm. uh, uh, laying it out, they're like, oh, like Space Warrior costumes. And it's like, When they're okay. on the phone. Yeah, when they're calling yeah. them to invite them to trick or treat. He's like, we'll be dressed as Space Warriors. And it's like, we literally saw you two hours ago with the best quality werewolf costumes in existence. Yeah, that's weird. But like, yeah. okay, I, I didn't even read into it that far. 
Blows my mind. But but you're am I right in thinking that that had to be some kind of behind the scenes prop filming issue? Like no, I think it was just they want. I think it was. I think it probably was this. Uh, I don't want to say arbitrary choice, but it was. Just, it was. It was a. It was a. A matter of preference. I, I don't think it was anything. Sure. Like, I don't know. Because sure. like, I think the whole point of their first costume is the werewolf is obviously to scare. The, the, the four kids. Yeah, the jump scare. Right, yeah, the jump scare's right before a commercial, that type of thing. Yeah. Now, I think the whole point of their Space Warrior costumes is to make them a little more vulnerable. I think it's it's harder okay. to make a character... Um, or in a full elicit, body sy- costume. Yes, it, it's hard yeah. to elicit sympathy from characters that are in scary costumes. Sure. So you need to give them something that's a little bit more... Because, again, their, their Space Warrior costumes are also, like, what? Like, sky blue... Um, they're not very... They're easy uh, on the eyes. They're very yeah. minimal and very easy to look at. Yes. It makes them innocent looking. They're not... Again, it's not like uh, going at... Yeah. It's so you're like, saying, if, if, if we had watched the whole episode of them trick-or-treating in full werewolf costumes, that would have been distracting. Like, what's the point of watching the people in the pumpkin head costume talking to someone in a full-on werewolf costume? That doesn't convey the discrepancy between those two power levels as the episode demands it to. Well, I, well, yes, in a way, I just, me, um, shooting, shooting into the darkness. I have sure, no idea. Sure, sure. I, I think it would have been cool maybe to see them in the werewolf costume still. Like, I, I don't know. Okay. Okay. It depends. I know there's probably certain people out there that would find, cause that's another, uh, hallmark of goosebumps is that it tries, like, this is one of the very few episodes. This is, this was my transition point before. And we haven't gotten there just yet, and we'll save it for a couple more moments. Mm-hmm. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, much like the uh, the 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 the, the uh, toxic mutant Avenger. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll spend fifteen minutes getting to a point we could just jump into immediately. Sure, but seeing a jack o' lantern head, which we still haven't gotten into, with the werewolf, that would be interesting to see, though. But I imagine there's probably a lot of kids out there that would be infinitely more scared of a werewolf head. A jack o' lantern head. Okay, okay, yeah, and they needed to sh- they needed to shift the focus to the the Halloween being frightening. Yeah, plus gotcha. I would imagine a lot of, as with any actor, whether it be a child actor or an adult actor, they want their face shown as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. Rule number one as an actor: don't let anything cover your face unless unless you absolutely can't help it. Unless you're Judge Dredd. <laughs> yes, unless you're Carl Urban and you're the ultimate team player. But but I, I need to interject in your summary. Okay, interject. Did, did we skip the dream sequence? Is there a dream sequence? The dream sequence where Drew, the the main character, the protagonist, dreams about the woman who invites them into their house while they're trick or treating. Oh yeah. Yeah, the stranger danger scene. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. So, honestly, Zach, this is the only reason I picked this episode. This episode and this book, they do not stand out to me, personally. In my history of Goosebumps, with the written text and the show, Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns being one of the only Halloween-themed episodes and one of the only Halloween-themed books, this never stood out to me. But oh my god, this one scene stands out to me. This one scene is legitimately terrifying. Like, just the concept of this scene is actually scary, I think. And it's stranger danger to the max. So before we talk about this scene in particular, it's going to harken back to something I mentioned earlier. You saw this scene, right? You got to watch this scene. Where the I don't woman- remember it, though. What? I honestly don't remember it now. 
So this is the scene where, um, you know, they basically Drew and Walker, I think kids A and B in your description, they get the bullies to agree to go trick-or-treating with them. And the next thing that happens is they're all trick-or-treating and they go to a woman's house and the woman is like, oh, I love your costumes. My husband is really, really sick and he can't get out of bed. So, but he would love to see your costume. So please come into my house and go upstairs to show my husband your costumes. Does this ring a bell? I remember that part, but I don't remember anything beyond that. Okay, so after they go up the stairs the big reveal of this dream sequence, because at the end we, we learn it's a dream. Um, I, I think the way it's shot and the airiness of like kind of the edges makes it clear that it's a dream, but basically our four, the two bullies and the two main characters, they get up to this room and it's just fucking like 20 kids tied together oh, in shackles. Oh, yeah, okay, and there's this there's this fat dude with like a growth on his face and he's like, I love your costumes. I love them so much. You're gonna stay here forever, and and there's basically a Stranger Danger dream. Yeah, scene. I know now. Yeah, I, know. I remember. Shane, shut up! That, that is why, well, in addition to, as I said before, this is one of the only Halloween-themed episodes, so I figured it would fit with our kickoff to Monstober. Um, but the other reason I picked this episode is because this scene from the book and the show have stood out to me so much. I think as far as, you know, putting myself in a little kid's shoes watching this, this is scary. This is actually unsettling. As far as Goosebumps goes... The whole idea of someone seeming to be nice but then trapping you. One, they were really going for Stranger Danger in the late 90s. And two, I think it works, man. This scares the shit out of me. <laughs> well, okay, now, now that you brought up, I remember that. I remember the scene now. I remember how I didn't understand why it fit. Mm -hmm. And, okay, I could be wrong here. Clearly, like Rob has made so abundantly obvious stranger danger yes. in cap in all capital letters yet i think the point of this scene was that if you remember correctly the uh the two kids from out of town are already tied up stairs with the other kids yes it, that that in this dream sequence that's the explanation as why those two friends didn't show up for the trick-or-treating yes okay and i think this is meant to be a Red herring slash lull us into a false sense of security about those characters. Because mm. I think it's trying to portray them as vulnerable mm -hmm. as if they are. I, I don't know. I might be reading into it too much. Sure, I might be sure. giving the show too much credit. But I think it's trying to show that those characters are just as helpless, if not more so, than Drew in the Zodiac Killer. Okay. And I think, because again, they show, because I remember, like, because you have, because that dream sequence isn't abundantly clear. Like, I mean, the first time I was watching, I didn't know it was a dream sequence. Yeah, so clearly, she, it wasn't until Super Drew wakes up that I eventually, obviously, you figure yeah. out that's a dream yeah, she, sequence. She wakes up and literally has the lines, it was just a dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, the, the Stranger Danger thing, I do feel that maybe was an afterthought. Okay. 
because if that was the moral of the story, which you could, maybe Stranger Danger is the moral of the story, but it's really kind of clouded and muddied by the end of the story. Yes. Because yes. it's definitely, you could definitely extrapolate it to the very end of the story, which we still haven't gotten to the major twist of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that sequence, I think, there, I think the reason why it is unsettling to you I don't. I have to rewatch it again and see. I got kind of. I got to watch it a second time and really kind of get a feel for it. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the reason why it's unsettling is that there is that juxtaposition of you have a cute little like normal house, like mm-hmm. the woman, in, like they knock on the door. The house is normal. It's not like a house that's like run down or there's cobwebs or it's falling apart or it's in a state of disrepair. It's it like is, a normal house. Yeah, one that you would go to trick or treat on any other Halloween. Absolutely. Exactly. It's well lit. It's not like uh, spooky. And they go up the stairs and what you have, you know you have the weird guy with like, the gross on his face. And he's like, yeah, Giddies, come here. I want to I wanna grab your candy butts. <laughs> and you have like all this weird, like, like very like slightly sexual innuendo. Mm-hmm. And the thing I think it makes it weird is that you have this normal house juxtaposed with the fact you have children in Halloween costumes chained up. Yeah. And I think you do have that really surreal nature of normal. I think that's why sometimes shows like Goosebumps are so effective is you have a normal setting like a house and you have children. Obviously, usually you don't (laughs) children aren't typically chained up unless something very bad and nefarious is going to happen to them. (laughs) And so you do. And there is that element of being trapped, especially Halloween is an innocence time. Usually you stop trick or treating once you hit like 12, 13 years old Mm -hmm. because you outgrow it. So uh, kids in costumes usually signifies innocence and vulnerability. Yeah. Much more so than this, your typical um, I don't know, like uh, uh, blue jeans and like a yellow T-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's what that's why I think in the fact you do have this kind of creepy old man. Like, yeah, kitties are coming. Oh, yeah, give me that candy. And like, <laughs> and he, he's fat, he's balding, balding mm-hmm. hairy all over except his head. Um, and the fact they are lured in by the wife that seems rather innocent. Yeah, initially. Yeah. Um, but no, that, that is a weird. It's a weird sequence because it seems out of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the uh, cases where. You know, not to compare it to anything in that we discussed in Unsolved Mysteries, but to call back on a phrase we use in Unsolved Mysteries. I think that, you know, Goosebumps didn't know how creepy they were being. Like, I think they were including it because it is it, in the book. Like, that book, that scene exists in the book. It's not something that's added to the show. Oh, to, really? Yeah, like, that whole oh. dream sequence exists. Like, that is not created for the show to be... Uh, stranger danger, anything like that is pulled right from the book as a well. It's not a dream dream sequence, as in like she fell asleep and dreamt it. It's like a daydreaming sequence in the book. It's like she's just imagining what could go wrong on Halloween, but it is in the book. And I think hmm. it's a case of where when Goosebumps the show adapted it, they didn't know how creepy it really was, and it it feels out of place because of that because maybe it was it is so different from goosebumps as a whole even that scene in the book is a little weird compared to other i remember reading it you know and it is kind of out of nowhere um it's like its own little whole chapter because you know you don't know it's a, a dream sequence or a daydream until the very end just like in the show i think it was something that they knew they had to implement and maybe they knew they could pitch it or twist it a little bit better for stranger danger and it ended up just being uh, a, a unique kind of well in the Goosebumps uh, repertoire or something like that. Like, they didn't really know how how different it was. It was just something they needed to get through. 
I don't know. Does that make sense? I yeah, it makes sense. If I okay. didn't know that, I would have sworn the 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 they they filmed this entire episode uh-huh. and clocked uh-huh. it like nineteen <laughs> minutes, and they needed three minutes of filler. If honestly, if I didn't know any better, I would have sworn this was filler. Okay, well, yeah, this is certainly from the book, and I'm I'm glad you bring that up because one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this. Um, this scene and this episode in particular, I mentioned before, you know, I watched all these, I read them, watched them on TV, read them in person, but it took until my undergrad when I started collecting and hoarding files on hard drives where I was like, I really want to have all of Goosebumps. I don't know why. I have no idea why. It was the, it is the only episode as far as I can tell that in the whole series of Goosebumps, when I downloaded them all, this one episode, when I originally got it, was edited. Oh, and really? It, yeah. And it had the entire scene that we've just been discussing, the dream sequence, cut out. So the, the first time I downloaded this episode and watched it, because I remembered this scene, the kids go up to the house, the woman answers the door, and she goes, Oh, your costumes are so great. Can you come in? And then it cuts to Drew waking up and saying it's a dream. Literally, this was still a VHS rip. That means someone had the VHS rip of this episode of Goosebumps and for some reason cut out this scene. I don't so believe that. I, I think an ABC family or a Fox or a UPN, or somebody who had the television oh, rights for this oh, might have may have cut it out. I don't believe so, somebody so did it you, on their own accord. So you no. think that the versions that I downloaded were TV rips from yeah. syndicated, or maybe not syndicated, but yeah, re-airings. Syndicated. Yeah. Okay, sure, syndicated. But from syndicated re-airings, and they edited it for their viewings? For time or content. You know what? Uh, you know, Zach, you are so right, and that's why it's great to talk you about the, talk to you about these things. Because honestly, when I'm downloading from torrents from all these weird places, I I can I only have it in my head that these are the people editing these things. But you are so right. This could have been an artifact from where these people got it. Yeah, I, that's why I have to guess because I, I I know Goosebumps uh-huh. has been passed around quite a bit. Yes, because it is one of these things where you can. I don't know. I'm not even sure. You know, Rob Rob doesn't have television like a like a quote unquote normal person has. <laughs> but like, there's this thing that we have called. And it's on pretty much all cable stations now called MeTV, My Entertainment Television. Okay. And they air like they don't do as much weird stuff as they used to, but like on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, it air like kind of like not weird stuff, but really kind of like eccentric children's entertainment. Sure. And I don't know if they, I would imagine something like Goosebumps would have been a little too expensive for them. Okay, okay. But they did this one show, and we're pretty sure it's part of the reasons why my father's like dementia got worse. It was called Green Screen Adventures. Um, okay. If there ever was a candidate for for a Cinemati, Green Screen Adventures is there. Like it is the scariest crap I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like if Rob watches right now, Rob would lose his mind. Um, in the setting, my father used to be forced to watch, inadvertently was forced to watch it in his dementia-ridden state uh, like oh, on God. Saturday mornings because we put as we thought it was like innocent like re-airings of like Bonanza and Columbo. Yeah. Except all we knew that on Saturday mornings, like you have this really scary-looking TV show on that was like made for kids in name only. 
Oh God! This everything you're saying makes me think of Wonder Shows. In so far, <laughs> I I would say it's scarier than Wonder Shows because it's done. Woo. Um, it's 100 percent genuine. Like nothing is tongue in cheek. Like it is legit, just scary imagery. Okay. okay. Um, well, I, I don't know. I can know there's a website for it. I don't. I haven't looked at it in a couple of years. So sure, uh, sure. I might have to investigate that. You know what? That might be a Halloween. You know, in all honesty, that might be a Halloween selection. Now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, but no. So like, I don't know. Like some some shows like that, they do edit for content and time. Yeah. So who knows? Again, Cartoon Network was. We I know Cartoon Network had different phases over the years. Um, ABC Family or Fox Family or UPN. I could very well imagine, or uh, what was it, Picks, Pax, whatever one Pax, of that one said. Yeah, Pax, yeah. I could very well imagine them editing something like that out. Again, for fair, both time fair. and, because I think a lot of people, especially in the 90s, might have um, constituted that as uh, pedophilia. Uh, maybe that could have been a pedophilia thing. Like, j- just cut it out. We don't have to worry about getting any complaints. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And also, I was thinking when you look at this entire episode as we watched it and you think of what could we cut for time, it would be the dream sequence. That is the only thing that doesn't have relevance to the overall story. Yeah. And especially, okay, you, think, great. you probably would get parents saying, I don't want my kids watching something where, like, if they go trick or tr-. Again, it's just, it's easy editing fodder. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree with what you said. I think, though, when you watch this episode, you need that scene. That is an important scene <laughs> for all of the reasons we discussed. Uh, I, I, I'd have to rewatch it again because as I watched that scene, I didn't. Um, I can see the more I think about it. I can see why it's important, though, but I'm not sure if that's just me projecting onto it. Okay, okay. Well, it'd be, like fun I, to, it'd be fun to watch this episode with with that completely excised out and see if it makes a difference. I have that copy for you, Zach. I, want, I, I never I never deleted that. I still I have want it. that copy. I, I might need that. Is it been better or worse copy than the one you gave me? Oh, much worse. <laughs> much, okay. much worse. It's like on par with Attack of the Mutant. <laughs> All right. I, 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 I still want to see it because I might be able to discern what <laughs> network that's from. Okay. Um, anyway, though, that's okay. That's a story. From, okay. Anyway, back to the narrative yes, of the we story. Have, we have we have completed the dream sequence. I love that scene. It's why this episode sticks out to me. I'm glad we talked about it. But please, Zach, jump back in to the grandness that is Attack of the Jack O' Lanterns. All right. So we go back. Um, uh, Super Drew and the Zodiac Killer meet up with the uh, what's Space Warriors. Name? Space Warriors. <laughs> they go trick or treating like one or two houses. And then, like, they meet up with, like, these jack-o'-lantern, like, they're very clearly not costume, like, kids in costumes. They're just, like, these weird sort of, like, creatures with, like, bulbous heads. They're pumpkins, obviously. Mm, and garbage bags. And garbage bags. Yep. And, and they're like, oh, we, like, these jack-o'-lantern people are like, oh, like, we know where all the good houses, where all the best candy is. A better and- place. A new neighborhood. A new neighborhood, and the four kids are like, I don't know, like, didn't one of us just have a dream about stranger danger? And the Zodiac Killer's like, shut up, Super Drew. <laughs> and and they go, okay, let's follow the weird jack o' lantern people around neighborhoods. They go mm-hmm. from house to house of this of this neighborhood. They have the best kind of candy. Um, it, they, they go to like what four, five, six houses, and it's just like they get like this, like their pillow cases are filled to the brim with candy. Yep. One of the best is like one guy has like a legit like. Oh my lord! How would you describe it? Like it's not—it's like one of those. It's not a bucket. It's bigger than a bucket, but it's like one of those. 
Okay, like a twelve foot diameter bucket. That's oh yeah, it's like, like a, it's like almost a tub. It's like the, yeah, it's, tub. it's the middle point between a bucket and a bathtub. <laughs> yeah, it's a tub. It's a tub. Good, thank you. That's the word. He has like a tub full of candy, and like before the kids see it, they're like, he's like in the most like solemn voice. He's like, <laughs> you're just in time. I'm about to run out of candy. <laughs> and he like leans over and takes out a tub full of candy that's filled to the brim and just starts like shoveling it into their like uh, pillowcases. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so like all the kids, especially um the power twins unite, are like, oh man, we're like done. We want to go home. Mm-hmm. And Jack Lawrence are like, more candy, mofos. More and, houses. Like, more houses. And the kids and, and like the, the power twins are like, eh. We don't want to do this anymore. And so, like, one of the Jack Lawrence takes the kid's candy, like, a thing, just throws on the ground. It's like, see? Now you're not full anymore. Yes. And this is where I kind of lost track of the episode because now I'm kind of like, what is just going on? Like, this is, this is like, because then, like, all the people that work in the houses now are turning into, like, Jack Lantern people, right? Yes. Yes. And so, like, they, like, they start to surround the four kids, uh, the Wonder Twins, the Zodiac Killer, and Super Drew. And they're like, Google gobble, one of us. Google gobble, one of us. Yeah, they want to put, like, the, the pumpkin head on the on one of the bullies to turn him into, like, one of us. You're going to become one of us, that type of thing. Exactly, because one of the bullies, like, beheads, like, decapitates one of them. It's like, whoa? Yeah, and it, the head talks while they're holding it in their hands, that type yeah. of thing. And at this point, I'm kind of getting a little on board with it, because, like, the Halloween imagery, uh, the macabre spooky nature, the lighting, mm-hmm. it has that great, like, fall ambiance to it where it's like like, i think every kid knows this feeling like right is halloween's on like the precipice of ending halloween's like still not over but like you're on the verge of like going to bed and like the magic is just is still in the air but slowly dissipating Mm -hmm. this scene this scene or starting at this scene until pretty much the very end captures this like moment in time that only occurs for maybe like a half an hour once of once a year perfectly. <laughs> okay, I, I, Rob, I know Rob's drinking the Kool Aid on what I'm trying to sell right here. I like it. No, no, you're you're being very specific, and I appreciate yes, it. I'm trying to I'm trying <laughs> to uh, create a mood and ambiance. Mm-hmm. It is because the lighting is like people don't realize like how important like as time goes on, like lighting is so uh, crucial when it comes yes. to like Halloween and like if you're trying to do something that's macabre. Nine tenths of the battle is sound and lighting. Yeah, you can get the sound and lighting down. The imagery's don't have to be concerned about uh, imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagery helps if you can if you can do the imagery right. That definitely adds it adds to it. But oh yeah. Anyway though, so like they do Google gobble one of us trying to turn the bullies into like pumpkin jack o' lantern heads. The bullies yep. get scared and run away, and um, the Zodiac Killer and Zuper Drew are like, <laughs> and then like the two main jack o' lantern people they're with pull their heads off, very Scooby-Doo, villain of the week-esque, and they're like, yeah. it's just us, you guys! You're yep. friends from out of town! And they're like, and the Zodiac Killer, because it's worth knowing this whole time, only Super Drew knows these kids. The Zodiac Killer is like, I, like he's like, you know he's not our main character, he is very um, implicitly like yeah. subtle of these two, I, I'm sorry, um, suspicious of these two. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can, t- you gotta give the, the kid actor who's a Zodiac killer a lot of credit because he definitely like lets off this like I, I'm uncertain of these two. Something's up with yeah. me. I can't put yeah. my finger on it. And so the kids like pull their mask off. They're like, "See, we were in the gag the entire time." It's like, like, see, we told you we could school the bullies at their own game. And, and it's like good. And they tell it the other like jack lantern people like, okay, guys, we're good. Go go back to your business. Mm-hmm. And it's like all the jack lantern people like disperse. 
And like the whole time, Super Drew and the Zodiac Killer, are like, wow, guys, that was great. How'd you do this? And like they're walking like through the woods and they're like small talking about nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And then like, okay, I'm telling this is well, I'm probably not, Rob will describe it better than I'm about to. This is how I remember it. Out of nowhere, it just comes, it blindsides you. And it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're aliens. And the Zodiac Killer is just like, what? And Super Drew's like, oh, you're kidding you guys, right? And then they, once again, they do a Scooby-Doo villain pull off your mask moment where they're like, oh, God. They're like green. Like, imagine someone yeah. took, 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 like, your hand. And, like, when you make, like, a little, like, mouth with your hand, like, as if you're talking, you dipped your hand, like, in green slime paint, pulled it out, put, like, googly eyes on it, and they're like, we're really aliens, mm -hmm. and we feast this time of year. And I'm like, what on earth? Like, I, I honestly, I'm like, what on earth? Like, I like what I'm seeing, but I am so confused right now, but I'm digging it. And they're like, we're aliens. We feast this time of year. And the two main characters are more or less just stunned silent. And they're like, what? Like, they're like the, like, they are the audience surrogates. They're like, what is going on right now? I'm pretty sure the Zodiac Killer looks directly into the camera at one point. And they're like, just remember, we'll come back next year. And we might not like you then. And they get on their ship and they leave. <laughs> and it's in the most, like, it's not scary imagery, but it's like, and maybe it's just me, and Rob, Rob might not uh, be able to um, share this feeling with me, though. But there's something weirdly disturbing about seeing, like, a human body. If there's, like, one portion of it that just doesn't make sense on, like, a visual level. Okay. Like, like one thing that used to bother I don't know how we're going to be able to describe this through uh, or sh display it in a podcast. But when I was younger, this used to absolutely terrify me. Was Sesame Street. I don't know how much Sesame Street Robert watched when he was young. But they used to have a segment where they have the the dogs in like human clothing, but like mm -hmm. it would just be the dog's head and they have like human um they'd be shot from like the waist up and they'd be like in overalls or something with like long sleeves and it'd be okay. human like like arms and hands, but it'd be the dog's head and like they'd be like making like a cake or like building something. Yeah, it used to terrify like I'm not I am not overstating this. It used to terrify me to the point where I would run out of the room. Like, like definition, like my mother can attest to this. I would just scare the bonkers out of me. I remember even sure. I'd be like, whether it was at home, I remember visiting my grandmother and I'd be watching Sesame Street. Anytime this segment came on, I would just run out of the room. Cause it just, whoever like sort of just, it's not disfigurement though, but it's just, how would you describe that Rob? Just like a, a oh my Lord, like, like a break. Like, like uh, it's not disfigurement, but it's something like that where it's like human arms and like a human like shape of a body, but it's a dog's head. You're yes, I there. I'm sure there's a phrase for it. It is a special case of anthropomorphism. I would imagine anthropomorphism is when non-human objects get human-like qualities. But this is taking it a step further. But it's they, realism, though. Like, yes, no yes. I, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. That that they take it a step further, where this non-human creature gains human physical traits, like the body and the arms. But I think you're onto something. But I think it's like the inverse of that. It's a human body with an, one element that's inherently non-human. No, no, yeah, yeah. I, I totally know what you're saying, and I don't know the word for it, but I'm sure there is a word. But I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Because I don't even know if you're thinking about this right now, Zach. Whatever we are going to call these things, not to spoil everything for Monstober. I think we've spoiled it at this point. Uh, at one point in Monstober, we are going to talk about the movie Freaked. 
and, and and something like this exists in Freaked Sockhead. Yes. Sockhead is the hand for the head, and the rest of him is a regular human. But I think Sockhead I like is di- Sockhead is different. We'll get into him next week. Well, yeah, because he's Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> well, that doesn't hurt either. But you see him as like a full body. Like, where with both uh, the jack-o'-lantern people with the green, like, hand heads and the dogs from Sesame Street, they're only shot from the waist up. Oh, so, okay. so, so you only get a certain section of You them. only oh. see, so like, there's, there's this thing of, like, less is more. Where it's, like, it's like, oh, this is what the head looks like. I can only fathom what, what the below the waist looks like. And I don't mean like in a sexual way, like like yeah, sexual yeah. organs. I mean like like Lord knows, because yeah. I know when the in the jack o' lanterns when they go back into their spaceship, which like I said comes out of nowhere. Talk yeah. about a, a third act plot twist. <laughs> they like we see them walking, and clearly it's very obvious it's it's a person hunched over with their arms sticking through the head hole. Mm. It's very clear what this like. There's no hiding how low low uh, low rent this is. Oh sure sure. But there's something so um, jarring and unsettling in seeing a figure like that move because it's so unnatural to our eyes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. It's, um, like, I'm, it's like a version of Uncanny Valley almost. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, well, you know, anthropomorphism was a good start, like we said, but it's not anthropomorphism or anthropomorphism, maybe an inverse. But at the same time, it's like... Ah, it makes me think of a centaur, like half human, half horse. But this is like one tenth dog and nine tenths human. It was the Sesame Street example. I love the idea, Zach. I'm gonna, that'll be a cinematic update when I can figure out what the hell those things are called. But I, I totally know what you're getting at, and I don't find them scary. I think I find them intriguing. <laughs> well, no, like, don't get me wrong. Like, like that. That's is always. This is one of the many hallmarks. Like I know Rob approaches cinematis differently, or has his own questions in mind when we delve into things. But one of mine, I think this goes back to like Yellow Submarine and okay. Fantastic Planet. Is like when we look at things that like either we experienced as children or or are geared toward children, like Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Like I will never be able to know what six year old me, six year old me's reaction to this would have been. Yeah, I can guess. Um, we'll get into this when we eventually talk about real scary stories in a couple weeks, because clearly I know what my uh, visceral adolescent reaction was to that. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'll, like we're now, I think part of, even though I was horrified and terrified by things like this during my youth, whereas now I'm intrigued by it and I find mm-hmm. it just it's part of my part of my brain that just likes not likes but yeah, intrigued. I don't like just because I'm intrigued by something doesn't mean I like it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, we'll talk about it one day. Falls into it. I think this yes. is part of that. That that motif we're going to talk about throughout the length of this podcast. Like something to be interested or intrigued by, it or to find it stimulating to some extent. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think I, I think that's the as I watch this, like this is where I really glommed onto this because like as I'm watching this, and when this ended, and they and they're like, we're do, like it's like remember. We can eat you next year if we want. Yeah. Just because we like you now. And I'm like, that's perfect. The whole idea that, like, just because we like you now, next year the game just changes because who knows where we're going to be. And yeah, this, is, yeah. this is the, and this is one of the few moments that felt like a Twilight Zone episode. You have, you have that element of stranger danger. Mm-hmm. And even though most Twilight Zone episodes are hitting you over the head with their message, this is very subtle. It's like think about it. stranger danger can be it has it takes two very 
specific yet different route of stranger danger. Ah. You have the dream sequence where it's just very easy, like, don't go into a stranger's house. A true like, stranger, yes. Exactly. But then you have the other type where it's like, just because you know somebody doesn't mean they just they can't be just as malevolent as the, the pervert man that's hairy and balding. Yeah, that's like rubbing exactly. his belly button tells you how much he wants to sit there and touch your candy balls. That's a fantastic like, point, Zach. That's a fantastic point. And that's why I think it ha- it's, it's the trifecta. It has the message, it has the creepy-ass imagery, and it has a very specific setting time. Um, it's locked into the era it was made in. Yes. You, yet, yes, yet you hit the nail the same, on the head. Yeah, at the same time, it's weirdly time. It's timeless. Mm-hmm. Because like, I don't care how much the technology advances, there will always be kids trick-or-treating in costumes. Yep. The internet cannot take that away from us, at least for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, at this point in time, we don't think that. I mean, we think I, that's protected. <laughs> well, that's maybe, okay, well, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have said locked in a specific time, because that's incorrect. It's this weird thing where it's like, it's, even though it's reflective of the time it's in, it's also timeless. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas, clearly this is a 90s era production, yet the, the uh, emotions and what, because everybody's trick-or-treated at one point in their life. Sure. And yet it's able to do that, yet it feels like a 90s production, which it gives that, like, even though I never grew up with uh, Goosebumps, it definitely gives me that 90s era nostalgia. Yeah, okay. Without actually living it. Like, it's, it's weird. Can you feel nostalgia for something that you're just experiencing for the first time? <laughs> I think that means you're living in the Matrix. <laughs> it's something like that. I think the Matrix is broken. Yeah. That's that's a great cinematis question. Can you experience nostalgia for something that you're that you're? Can you feel nostalgia for something that you're experiencing for the first time? Yeah, that, that's 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 a an absolute great question, and I don't know if I can officially answer that. You know, I don't I don't know if I have enough uh, understanding on instances that we could take as examples of that. So that's Rob, tough. That, that is a good how, question, though. How much drugs do we have to take to answer this question? Mm, well. A lot to answer any question. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you got to hit, hit a good base of intoxication before you attempt to answer anything. Um, but no, just, just, to, just to spin off of this for a little bit, uh, I guess let me... Well, nostalgia's difficult. When you posed this question to me, one of the things that came to mind is that Zach, uh, on, I think on this podcast and his other podcast that we don't talk uh, about. Yeah. He's said before that he was introduced to Star Wars with the Phantom Menace, with episode one. Is that correct? Si, senor. But that was when you were a kid. So that's where I think this might not relate. But I feel like you could pose that same question. Maybe not you, but someone. Was the first Star Wars movie you watched the Phantom Menace, and then later that instilled nostalgia for Star Wars movies you saw afterwards? But had chronologically came earlier. Does that make sense? That's the first thing that pops into mind is people who became a fan of star Wars after the original trilogy and then started to love the original trilogy immensely. Is, is that, and it could, could that be an example of this kind of postpartum nostalgia? I like the idea of postpartum nostalgia. I like yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know how we would define that, but I like that term, <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's like a weird sort of like a strand of nostalgia. 
Okay. Well, like, I know there'll be stupid people out there. They'll be like, oh, I, don't know, I can think of like people that are like our age, and they'll mm-hmm. be nostalgic for like the 1960s. They clearly never lived during that time frame, so they'll never know what it was like sure. to live there. Yeah, okay. they have some some misplaced sense of affinity for it. Yeah, the people who go to Woodstock every year and they do the Woodstock Festival to celebrate Woodstock the festival. <laughs> yeah, but they never. Like, but clearly, they were born decades after the festival yeah. itself took place. Yeah. But yeah. the thing about what I'm trying to present, though, is that clearly I grew up during the 90s. I knew mm-hmm. what it was like to trick-or-treat in the 1990s. So I know I've never seen this. I guess maybe um, this episode, Attack of the jack lanterns is eliciting nostalgic uh, emotions. Even though I've never ah. seen this before, it's, it's pulling on heartstrings of that feeling where yes, even it, though it's... I've never experienced this specific event before – it's bringing me back to a time and place that I could, even though obviously I didn't because encounter Jack Lanterns. Because it's Landers. close enough. Yeah, it's a facsimile. Okay. It's not. It's like you can never. It's like the whole thing. Uh, the info was it the the Great Gatsby. Um, you can ne- like he says like you can't go back in time, and it's like why? Of course you can. It's the whole idea. Like no, you cannot repeat the past, but you can very briefly open up portals to the past and experience. It's like almost a fleeting glimpse of yep. what it was like. It's not going to last. You can never. It's never. It's not sustain. Nostalgia is not sustainable. It's uh, brief and sporadic. But mm-hmm. when you do, are, well, I guess if you're able to find that level of connection, it's it's hard to define, and it's also hard to really. De- yeah. Again, it's hard to define. I guess that's what it is. If you're able to yeah. actually uh, get that uh, connection. No, I I agree. I really like the way that you put it. Is that this episode's a goose? This episode of Goosebumps attack the jack o' lanterns for you. While this, in and of itself, this episode is not necessarily nostalgia like it is for me, because I remember watching it so many years ago and reading the book, it is kind of... Uh, tangential uh, nostalgia. Yeah, it, it's tangential. It, it's, a, it's a catalyst for nostalgia. Because even though you don't remember this specific thing, it harkens back to those times that you do remember and you do have nostalgia for. Okay. And just one last thing, because you know this is Monstober, and mm-hmm. we'll probably get into this more as time goes on. I think that's also why Halloween, as time goes on, is becoming a much more popular holiday. I think it's like God, it's like Halloween keeps expanding as like like a, a holiday industry. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why that is is that it's like the one holiday where technology really hasn't infringed on it at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Outside of people like driving their kids from maybe like house to house, which okay, I think is sure, awful, sure. Mm-hmm. which is awful. But in all honesty, you could have done that in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good like, point. That's interesting. You're right. You're right. Halloween's one of the very few holidays, and maybe the only holiday where technology hasn't really impacted it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, because you know, uh, just to. Just to compare this to something, when Zach says, you know, holiday that technology hasn't implemented or influenced, uh, you compare it to Christmas. Technology made it so we never had to go outside to shop, and now we can shop for Christmas online. You can't get your candy online. You can't trick-or-treat online. You know, you, you can't go to people's emails and get a voucher for candy. You're right, Zach. That's a really good point. That uh, Halloween is one of the last things we have that's still widely celebrated, widely known. Um, widely taken advantage of, I would say, you know, in terms of marketing and commercialism. And it is still kind of tame in the sense of technology. That's a really interesting point. 
You're right. Bra- breaking new ground sound. Woo! Breaking new ground. Good old Halloween. We're, we have to celebrate it even more now. <laughs> that's, why we, that's why we're giving it an entire five weeks of Monstober. Yes. yes, kicking it off with good old Goosebumps. It's no? a Monstober's okay. miracle. You are you are absolutely right, Zach. That's a really good point. I like it. I like it. We what's my what's my Monstober nickname? I need a Monstober nickname. The the master of Monstober. The Met. Uh, nah, it doesn't sound too good. How about how about your your Monstober nickname is not the Lego Maniac? Like literally, that's it. Like not the Lego Never. Maniac. Never. <laughs> don't don't rob me of my don't rob me of my nickname sake. <laughs> oh man! No, okay, that that's an interesting unit. We'll work on us. that. We'll figure out my yeah. nickname for uh, Monstober. It'll be an update for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to talk about this or are we going to move on to snacks? Um, so before snacks, which I have some really good things to say, I love what we talked about this episode. Like I said, I'm glad you love this one, Zach. Um, I have two things I want to point out. One, because I mentioned it earlier for our Say Cheese and Die episode. Uh, like I said, the evil camera has nothing to do with the Jack Black Goosebumps movie. One of the pumpkin-headed monsters actually appears in the Jack Black Goosebumps movie. They are not a main villain, but they are in, in, in some scene when Slappy the Dummy, like, releases or opens all of the books. So all of the villains comes out, and there's, like, a good shot of him. I think it was, like, the promo shot of Slappy the Dummy sitting in a chair, and there's, like, all these Goosebumps characters behind him. One of them is the, uh, the jack-o'-lanterns. So they're in the movie. They do get representation in the Jack Black Goosebumps movie, which is pretty cool. Of all the episodes we talked about, that's the only one <laughs> that is represented yeah. in the movie. Um, the other thing I want to say is a big difference between the book and the show. In the show, as Zach described, when our main characters are trick-or-treating and they want to go home, their pillowcases are fulled, filled with candy— they, they're like, we can't carry any more candy. There's no more room. The jack-o'-lanterns just pour it onto the ground in the show. They make the kids eat it in the book. They literally make, they force feed the kids candy until they have more room and then make them go trick-or-treating again, which is infinitely more horrifying, I, I'm con- I'm, I consider. This is another one where I think any show is definitely better with the more concise it is. Uh, I think like, like an episode like this, I would be terrified to think of this episode as, or this uh, book as two segments or two episodes. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like anything it's like keep it quick, tight and to the point. Yeah. And, and the we don't have the time, on. you know, there's no point in saying that because in the book, there's this whole kind of time dilation aspect where, our, our human characters are only gone for, like, an hour real time, but they live something like weeks. Like, they're trick-or-treating and eating candy for weeks in the book. And that's really difficult to portray in a 20-minute episode that needs to be concise, like Zach said. Yeah. And, okay. And, that's, okay, that's, and I think any sort of anything in life, the, the more concise it is, the better. And okay. as I say this, I look at the runtime of this episode and no, I'm breaking the rule. I'm just <laughs> That was a good one. That was a good one, Zach. <laughs> Other than that, though, with Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns and all of the three Goosebumps episodes you're talking about, I think we're good. I think we finished it up. I'm, I mean, I'm a little bummed we're only talking about three. I think when I originally pitched this to Zach, I said we should do an episode about all of it. <laughs> Like all four seasons, we should just do like an eight-hour-long episode. Well, well, this is my this is my final question. 
Sure. As, sure. as the, uh, uh, the mice, I guess the, oh my lord, the keeper of the Goosebumps knowledge. Mm-hmm. Are there, how many episodes else are there like Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns? Uh, when you say like, do you mean Halloween themed or ending wise, where the twist is kind of portrayed? Not, okay, I don't. Okay, um, maybe not twist, maybe not Halloween, but like, oh my, okay, um, weird, creepy ass visuals of like the idea of like you have these weird like green hand monsters, like like a weird mm-hmm. creepy visual like that, mm-hmm. like like an in camera effect that's not like Toxic Avenger Man. And and uh, Gazelle Adam West. I mean, like, okay. I want creepy visuals that are just, like, weird and just gonzo. Okay, gonzo visuals that are campy and fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, I, I know. I'm thinking of one right off the bat. It's the episode where she finds out that her, like, this girl finds out that one of her teachers is a monster, like an actual monster. And the way that it's depicted in the episode is is exactly like you described. It's like that weird green alien hand thing, but a little a little more overdone. But I think still in the realm that you would like. Oh fuck! What is the name of that episode? It's something like "My Music Teacher Is a Monster" or something like that. Like the title is very um, descriptive of the events of the episode. <laughs> yes, yes, it, 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 very much like Attack of the Jack O' Lanterns. Where they get attacked by jack-o'-lanterns. Um, oh, God. The Girl Who Cried Monster. That's the name of it. Okay. She thinks one of her teachers is a monster, and she, like, tells her parents, and the parents don't believe her, and then she, like... It, it's, a, it's a play on the girl or the boy who cried wolf. It's the girl who cried monster. Gotcha. And, and the visuals, when you actually get to see the monsters, I think are exactly what you're looking for, Zach. Okay, so that's that would give me that would uh, scratch my itch. Maybe yes, yes it would, and maybe you should look that up on your own because I think the copy I have of that one is just as bad as Attack of the Mutant. <laughs> I would, I, I, I'll take them. I'll take them both. I'll take that. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I want, okay. I want the original. I want the other edit. Of, the edit, um, yeah. Attack of the Jack Lanterns. I want that sure. alternate edit. Sure. Okay. Okay. Zach's gonna have some homework. <laughs> Definitely. This is the fun month. This this is the month of the year I I spend all the other months waiting for it. While I'm sitting there listening to uh, Perfect Hair Forever, this was what I was thinking of while I was suffering through Perfect Hair Forever. Okay, okay. All right, Rob, what is your snack for this, for all of Goosebumps? A human. You should eat a human. But there's a caveat to that. Because oh. you, could very, you could very easily just eat human. Because at the end of Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns, the aliens are like, we eat adult humans, haha. And so you could very easily do that. But no, I am here to give you, our audience, and Zach, the better way, the Cinemodities restaurant way to eat human. So oh, here dear. we go. Here we go, Zach. This is what I'm going to pitch. Uh, first step, we need to get the evil camera. We need to actually have the evil camera in our possession. Okay, bear with me. That's a tough step, but assuming we can do that, we have a little kind of room in the basement of the Cinemonides restaurant. And in this room, the camera's set up. It's, like, locked down so no one can, like, remove it, and it just stays focused on this one point, you know, to minimize the, the risk of the evil camera. And we use it to take pictures of people until the picture shows the person as a food. 
So then the camera will turn the person into that food and we serve that. What do you think? That's that's very imaginative. It's I like that. It's very I don't delicious. think it's the most appetizing. I think the health board, I think the health board along with the police are going to have a serious uh, issue with it. But on a theoretical level, I definitely like where your head's at. Yes, so it, we have to get the evil camera to turn someone into a food, and then we serve that food. And that is probably going to be, well, one, you're going to have to call ahead for it. Like, I, I don't think we can just be like, oh, hey, someone upstairs ordered the uh, the Goosebumps special. Like, let's just start taking pictures of people till one of them's a food, you know? Like, it seems very unlikely that we would get a food from the camera when we need it. So there'd have to be some level of pre pre-planning maybe like a reservation. I'm thinking that we would need like just a series of sacrifices for this camera until we got one to turn into food. It's a work in progress, just like the whole restaurant. Our audience knows that, right? We're still working at the kinks on a lot of work this stuff. Work in progress. We've been doing this for like six months now. No more work in progress. Well, well no, no, the, the restaurant and how the restaurant works and what you can order and when you can order it. I mean... Uh, the only thing we've really worked out in terms of, like, actual doing it is we have the caviar fountain. That actually exists now. We've set that up. It's costing us millions of dollars a day, but we set it up. Everything else is a work in progress. <laughs> okay. Um, the only other snack that I would pitch is a tuna sandwich, but one, but one that you traded for another tuna sandwich. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's the only other one I can come up with because I love that idea of two kids trading the exact same thing at lunch. Snackmaster, what do you have for Goosebumps? I'm not sure if you knew this, but on the Goosebumps Wikia, they actually have like an entire page for like Goosebumps party menu. I they did have, like, not know this. They have like mummy pigs in a blanket. Oh, they my have God. Um, peanut butter and jelly ghosts. They have one called Witch Finger Cookies. I, they look insanely realistic, and I don't know how it's Goosebumps related. Uh, Green Demon Cocktail, and my personal favorite, Halloween Meatloaf Mice. Oh my god, I'm looking at this picture right now. It is unsettling. I'm having a difficult time describing this. It's so unsettling. Uh-huh. Uh, you shape the meat so it looks like mice, and they even made the eyes. What the hell is that that they made the eyes out of? Olives, maybe they cut like an olive in the quarters, like it's a slice. So, of. My God, it's so, <laughs> it's so. Olives are disgusting. We we've, we've unnerved <laughs> Rob. Another cinematity's first. This picture is like a cinematity in and of itself, <laughs> because there's three meatballs. I'm doing air quotes. Two of them clearly look like mice, and one of them doesn't look like anything. I honestly think someone fucked up so bad at spaghetti and meatballs that it became the mice and meatballs or the spaghetti and mice. Here's mine. Um, I'm stealing this from the internet. I put my uh, snack master cap on uh, back on the shelf. Okay. Um, all right. Someone's doing lemon lime soda. Okay. You're making a, a goosebumps cocktail or a drink, a beverage. I think we don't have a lot of beverages at the cinema at each restaurant. You need something hmm. to wash down all the monstrosities that you're going to eat. Not the. Uh, you mean you mean we are going to give our patrons another drink option than battery acid? 
Well, no, you spritzed it on the food, like the bat, like the the oh, pepper. Right. Yes, that was the seasoning. Okay, that's the okay, seasoning. I'm sorry, you, yeah, we, you tell, we the, you tell Zach Weir to come over, and he spritz how many times from the raw. Okay, okay. The raw, uh, you're right. You're right. See, I was forgetting that we. You're right. We don't have a lot of drinks. Okay, except the vodka from Trapped in the Closet. Well, which I think I said, and that might be it. Okay, okay, I'm ready. There might be one other. I think there's. I think Men, Women, and Children had drink maybe. Um, wasn't that uh, that might be another one we drink the battery acid? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. There might be some exceptions to the battery acid rule. You can ask for us another one. We have to ask if there's any. You just drink it whole. But anyway, though, the Goosebumps cocktail is lemon lime soda with green food coloring, and then some like rainbow sherbet, and you add some gummy worms for like a garnish. Okay. Okay. So it's a there's nice no, little drink. It's kid no friendly. Actual, okay, I was about to say there's no actual alcohol. <laughs> well, you can put you can you can get it with like uh, I would imagine you just dump well, you put rum, probably vodka. I imagine vodka because it's clear. Would. The vodka would well, yes, the vodka would keep the color, and the vodka would get absorbed by the gummy worms. Yes. Mmm. Okay. Okay. All right, Rob. Is from what we watched and and uh, Goosebumps as a whole, is it a cinemati and or a late night movie? I'm glad that you are prefacing this with Goosebumps as a whole, because of the episodes we watched, Cinemodity, Late Night Movie, I'm not sure. Maybe Say Cheese and Die, but I'm a little of the nostalgia aspect for that, and if I'm going to show that to someone as a late night movie, I think that they will take more away from it than the fact that it's young Ryan Gosling than it is Say Cheese and Die. Uh, Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns? That's just a fun Halloween episode. Cinemodities? No. I don't think Goosebumps is a cinemodity. I think it is the kids' version of The Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt. It had to be done at some point. It's nothing special. As far as late night movie, though? Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I could see myself, during the month of October, putting it on late night movie because it's my tradition. I could also see myself putting it on late at night for the nostalgia factor. But at the same time, I guess I should say my late night yes is coming with the caveat that there is some grounding of goosebumps to the person I'm watching it with. You know, like I'm not just going to cold show someone goosebumps when they haven't heard of it or anything like that. That's my answer. No one yes. No one yes. With a caveat. With a caveat. (laughs) Goosebumps is a weird one. Goosebumps is very strange because it's something, it's one of my only traditions. You know, I, I really only watch it in October, and I watch almost all of it in pretty much the same order every year. And it just has that spot as traditional for me. And so, you know, maybe because of that, it it loses some of its standing as late night movie and cinemodity. Who knows? That's something I we really haven't encountered a lot yet in this podcast. Cinemodity for me, I'd say... The jury's still out for me. I have not watched enough. I know there's some Goosebumps stuff that I like. Okay. The only Goosebumps, uh, the only Goosebumps segment I remember from ten years ago there was like a werewolf one where like it ends with the kid like looking at like a dark window and it starts like scratching at the window. <laughs> I really like that at the time. I think I've seen that episode since, and I wasn't too impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously I loved Attack of the Jack O' Lanterns. Like I loved yeah. that like hook line sinker that got me. Um, I have to check out the one Rob told me like Beware of the Math Teacher or whatever it was called. Yeah, the girl who cried monster. The girl who cried monster. I got to check that out because I think there's potential here, and especially like Attack of the Mutant Monster or whatever it was called. <laughs> I think there, I think there is a very surreal element mm-hmm. to Goosebumps that's yeah, not yeah. Uh, present in a lot other uh, kid shows. Mm-hmm. 
late night movie, I think also I think that's more of a yes than the cinematic. Okay, I think yeah, yeah. Uh, it leans towards cinematic, but I think it's a full fledged late night movie. I could definitely see myself taking three three episodes of this and making this part of my Halloween rotation one year. Oh. That was exactly what I was going to ask you, Zach. But, Good. but the thing about those, that it's that it's not the thing about goosebumps. Those that it's not sustained weirdness. It's weirdness in burst or all mm-hmm. at once at the end of something. Yeah, and it's so it's hard to like put that on. People come come by and be like, "Oh, what are you watching?" And it's like, "Oh, I'm watching Goosebumps." Like obviously, ninety nine percent of the kids will not get that at all. Or if they do, they'll be like, "Where's Jack Black?" <laughs> and the adult or like the weird like like people our age that would get it, they'd be like, "I think it's hard to like." Goosebumps does not have really like any instant iconography. Mm-hmm. Like even if you love the show, I think unless you really were a diehard for it, you can't just look at it and be like, "Oh, that's Goosebumps." Yeah, I, I agree. Other I than the think, opening, other than uh, the opening, well, there's really no hard iconography for Goosebumps. Yeah, I, I guess I was really thinking of the books when you were talking about that. Um, I think the mainstream thing from the books and the show and portrayed in the movie is Slappy the Dummy. I think if you ask people Goosebumps, they're going to say Jack Black or Slappy the Dummy. But honestly, if you if you go to a diehard Goosebumps fan and you ask about Goosebumps, I would put money down that they're going to say Monster Blood. I talked about it before. That is one of kind of the the best regarded Goosebumps books. And that's why they got fucking four sequels. Because it was it was so well received, and I think for diehard fans, that's the one they're going to go to. But you're right. When you just ask the common man about Goosebumps, they might just be like, eh, "What? Like, what is that? You know?" It's a thing. It's a, yeah. It's the thing. It's you know. It's it's the bodily reaction when you get nervous or frightened. You get goosebumps. You know, like how many people know it as the books or the or the kids shows anymore? I wouldn't even say. I think people would like. But what I was trying to say though is like. Like on Halloween, I put something on. People stop by and they're like, oh, what are you watching this year? Yeah. Like, like with The Shining, like adults will get The Shining. Mm-hmm. Are you look at any frame of The Shining, okay. chances are if you've seen it once, you know what The Shining is. Yes. You put on any Jason or Freddy movie. It's iconic. People will know. There is no outside of the opening for Goosebumps. There is yes. no yeah. uh, solid iconography from the show. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. The closest you'll ever get is Slappy the Dummy, and yeah. that's not even iconic. That's just next on the list because it's the next most iconic thing. Not necessarily iconic in any way. Absolutely. It's weird that in that Goosebumps movie they tried. They did nothing with that um, opening of the show. Yeah, I. Is, is, do we want to go there next? Because I guess for everyone. Our only question left is how do we end the episode? And you better fucking believe we're playing the Goosebumps theme backwards. <laughs> so but I we, wonder, like, because I don't want to get into the, the movie that much. But I wonder. Oh yeah, me neither. Beca- I wonder if it's because, like, that opening is, you know, it's not super iconic. It's definitely mm. iconic within the Goosebumps canon, if yeah, that is such yeah. a thing. Yeah. I wonder if it's because they want to distance themselves away from the show because a lot of people also think the show is hokey. Sure. Sure, that's fair. But but I wonder if whoever has the film rights isn't the same person or the same corporate entity that has the television rights. Mm, now, Zach, you, Whereas hit the nail they, on the, you hit the nail on the head. My research tells me that those are, in fact, two different groups of people. But but the movie people could very easily license the icon, not even the theme song, the sure, imagery. Sure. Yeah, the, uh, the the slimy G that is on every Goosebumps episode, you know, like that. And then the books, that's from the books. That was the logo well, yeah, like of the that's, books, too. That's the title. I imagine no matter what, like if you license part of the property, mm-hmm. you probably, certain things are just shared amongst everybody. 
It's kind of okay. like when, like, like when uh, Hasbro license uh, the Avengers to make toys. Mm-hmm. They're obviously they get the logo to put on the toys that yeah, could be used yeah. for the movies, gotcha. the T-shirts, the 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 kids' cuisine meals. They're going to have Tony Stark chicken nuggets. Mm-hmm. Like the logo is one thing, but I wonder if portions of the, sh- the part because obviously the intro to the show has nothing to do with the books. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. That's a weird one. I, I wonder. It's just a licensing. You can pay, again. If you're willing yeah, to pay, absolutely. you can do anything. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, basically, what I said about the ownership of the movie rights and TV rights being different people, specifically regarding the music, that's the extent of the research I did into you know why we didn't get to hear it. Um, the music, the Goosebumps theme music, is oh man, one of the greatest intros ever. Uh, I don't. I think I might have mentioned it once or twice before on this podcast. But when I play instruments, I don't like to learn other parts. Like I really like to just learn the theory and then play my own things. But there are a very few handful, very small handful of things that I love so much that I need to learn how to play. One of them being screens from Animal Collective on guitar. The other being the intro to Goosebumps on piano. It's one of the only things I can play on piano, with the exception of like a Franz Liszt part, which is like 10 seconds long, and I love it. This is one of the greatest intros ever. It's done by a guy named Jack Lenz. L-E-N-Z. Jack Lenz has not done much musically since the Goosebumps theme song, but if you ever have the chance, if you're into music and the philosophy of music, if you look up anything Jack Lenz has talked about in TED Talks, in philosophy of music discussions, he is a, a great thinker in terms of the philosophy of music. And I, I really love the fact that someone who is not musically successful but has a great uh, perspective on music as a whole created one commercial object, and it's the Goosebumps theme song, and it's fucking great. And we're going to play it in reverse. I'm so happy. <laughs> and, and a good kickoff. We'll see you next week for the rest of Monstober. Woo! Yeah, we've